Hey, this is Copacetic. You're listening to the Music A to Z podcast. Brow, yeah! Welcome to the Music A to Z podcast. I am Steve Ferguson. And I am Douglas Ferguson. Sorry, it's been a bit since we've gone together, but we have an action-packed season ahead of you, uh, starting off with with two research-intensive episodes. Yeah, it's been the holidays as well, which hasn't helped. Oh yeah, Merry Merry Christmas Castles, Doug. (laughs) Merry Christmas Castles, Steve. Wait, Christmas Castles? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Christmas Castles. That's right, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a throwback. I forgot about that. I've been holding on to that, haven't you? <laughs> yes, I have. Okay, cool. <laughs> and, um, and Happy New Year's here. Happy New Year. <laughs> Merry Christmas castles and Happy Year's here. I like that, actually. It's a good... Well, it's right off the tongue. Mm-hmm. We're, we're back after a bit of, you know, a, a chance to catch up on some research. We, the decision was to try and get as much done with B as much as possible because we were more familiar with A. I, I will admit as well that I've been I've been kind of cheating on the podcast a little bit because I've got a web series going right now that is it is taking a, a good portion of my attention away that I would have ordinarily put towards the podcast. It doesn't mean that you're going completely neglected, dear listener. Um, but I have a web series going with my son called Cyberman and Son that we're trying to put up weekly and are mostly successful and uh, deals with Doctor Who reviews uh, with me and my son and little we do little sketches and we're going through all the Cyberman stories in Doctor Who history. And we're having a grand old time with that. So check it out. So why don't we just get right into it. Doug, who are we covering today? We are covering the Alan Parsons Project. Okay, so yeah, that's that's one of the things that Alan Parsons Project has been skirting the pop culture line for for quite a long time now, mm-hmm. just under the radar. Yeah, like but just right. Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, you probably caught the reference to Alan Parsons Project in uh, Austin Powers. It was the second one. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, 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 yeah uh, the uh, Spider Shag Me. Anyways, the key to this plan is the giant laser. It was invented by the noted Cambridge physicist Dr. Parsons. Therefore, we shall call it. The Alan Parsons Project. Oh my God. <laughs> what now? The Alan Parsons Project is a progressive rock band in 1982. 
Alright, why don't you just call it Operation Wang Chung? Also, there's the episode of The Simpsons where Homer, he's, he's talking about bands that were really big in the 70s or 80s, and he, he name-drops Alan Parsons' project. Dad, please, you're embarrassing us. No, I'm not. I'm teaching you about rock music. Now, Grand Funk Railroad paved the way for Jefferson Airplane, which cleared the way for Jefferson Starship. The stage was now set for the Alan Parsons project, which I believe was some sort of hovercraft. Dad, no one cares about any of your stupid dinosaur bands. And as well, if you watch a lot of hockey, sometimes, you know, when the Canucks open up and they want this, like, grand moment, because, you know, apparently hockey has to be just as cinematic as, mm -hmm. uh, as a television show these days. They usually have a song that plays as, as the players skate on the ice. And it's either, for the Canucks, certainly, it's either U2's Where the Streets Have No Name, that opening bit, or it's uh, Alan Parsons Project's uh, Cyrus off of Eye in the Sky. Well, it's for the Canucks. Yeah, yeah. Is it not just for... I don't watch a lot of hockey, to be honest. Is it not just for the Canucks? No, I, I, I just I, I just didn't know what, what team it was for. I think they just don't do the same song every single time, because then people would get, like, go mad. Right, know? well, you know, there's only... Even if you rotate between two songs, you're going to have people go mad. But, yeah. uh, you know, but at the same time, if you change it, people are going to be like, Why'd you change the song? Well, yeah. So, you know, what do you, what can you do? Plus, Alan Parsons' project did have a hit. Certainly, uh, I'm coming from, I'm sorry, a North American-centric uh, point of view. I mean, I'd say they had quite a few hits, mm -hmm. but there's one that sort of remained public, yeah, public consciousness. I, I'm the, one that I would say still gets some radio play occasionally. Mm -hmm. uh, Eye in the Sky. Which is too bad, because uh, if that's all you know them for, it's unfortunate, because it's not really indicative of, of their work as a whole. It's indicative of some of their work, mm -hmm. but not as a whole. Certainly my mother-in-law... When she heard I was into Alan Parsons' project, that was the only song that she knew about him. So she thought, oh, is he also into Air Supply? And, <laughs> uh, and actually, no, I'm not. Uh, I've never gotten into Air Supply. But, you know, it does kind of sound like Air Supply or Journey or some sticks. And It's very it's yeah. very easy to listen to. Yeah, uh -huh. easy to listen to but I would say as an adult <laughs> but as in, in the I contemporary world. I wouldn't call it uh, necessarily easy listening oh. or, or adult easy contemporary blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's the pop. That's the pop culture sort of stance on it. In terms of personal history stance, Doug and I grew up on Alan Parsons Project. It was uh, mm -hmm. our, one of our dad's favorite bands. Yeah, I have this uh, this thing I like to call, or like I, th I think I say everyone has like a Beatles band mm -hmm. where they this is the the band that they grew up with and they have a very sentimental attachment to. And often it's the Beatles because, you know, the Beatles were so big and, and they just kind of gets passed on from generation to generation. Did our dad have any Beatles? Mm, I think my I think our mom had a compilation mm. of the early Beatles stuff. But we didn't really listen to the Beatles when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. So I say that our Beatles band is the Alan Parsons Project. Mm -hmm. um, it's just sort of the one that's kind of like between both parents, actually. A lot of interest in. And, and, and we heard, uh, the not all, but the bulk of their albums quite a bit since as far back as I can remember. Mm -hmm. I mean, because if you think about it, like... Most of their albums were released before I was born, so... Yes. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Very true. And actually, as how our dad had them, he had a good majority on cassettes. I mean, you mm. would know better than I. Did he have any on vinyl? I don't think any that survived the calling. Really? Hmm. So he had he had quite a significant number of, mm -hmm. uh, of albums, and he actually expanded his collection when CDs became popular, so it became more familiar as well. All right, so let's look into the history of the history. Going back to the Beatles... Back in the day. Actually, um, yeah, I guess, uh, but yeah, it all comes back to the Beatles. It all it? comes back to the Beatles. 
Abbey Road Studios, a young engineer named Alan Parsons, and God, how young, he must have been really young, huh? Well, okay, let's see. Because he was born in 48. So, and Abbey Road was 69, I want to say? Yeah. So, when they were making it, it was, it was early 69, so he was probably... 20. He was 20. He was a, he was a young buck. Mm-hmm. And managed to luck out and work on, like, one of the, damn, the landmark albums. I was going to say maybe of the 60s, but I mean, like, to this day, really. Abbey Road is, is a huge, I mean, even pop culture staple to this day. Arguably, like, one of the most famous cover arts of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and I, even as far as, like, Beatles albums go, I think it's one of the best known Beatles albums, which is saying a lot. Mm-hmm. Abbey Road, kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Apparently also worked on Let It Be. Now, Let It Be was, that one was the one that was compiled after they split, correct? Yeah, it was recorded before Abbey Road. Yeah. But... It wasn't released because it was too rough. And so it was done... Yeah, it was released after they split when Phil Spector got his hands on it and kind of, like, made it orchestral and kind of like... He just tried to fix it in produ- in post-production, basically. So I wonder... I actually wonder what Parsons' role in uh, Let It Be wound up being, you know? I don't know. Like, he, like usually gets he, more, he usually gets more credit for Abbey Road. Yeah. Yeah. But I, that, that, is a mis- that is a mystery to me, though, simply because, I'm, well, I mean, Let It Be such a... Kind of an unusual circumstance uh but then i mean he didn't he didn't just stop there and say well you know i can't top that he wound up being a producer on the dark side of the moon uh engineered he was engineer on dark side of the moon as well engineer dark side of the moon pink floyd produced it technically Mm. themselves but he worked on it and you can and you can definitely hear that influence throughout parsons music Mm mm-hmm so apparently this. I think yeah. He, I think he took way more notes from this than he did uh, Beatles when when he started working on his own music. Because I mean, there's the, certainly the vibe to this. I think that you're right that that vibe carries over into his his work. Yeah, I, I think that. I mean, all you know, all due respect to Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. I think sonically speaking, Dark Side of the Moon is much more interesting. And again, in, in fairness as well, now now we're dealing with, with uh, an experienced man oh, yeah. in his mid-twenties as opposed to a kid who was probably just, like, absolutely thrilled to be there, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but, I mean, and also, like, the, you know, the Beatles and the Pink Floyd, they have different objectives, right? mm-hmm. So, it, it, you can't expect the same kind of sonic experience. But you you could think, with a resume like that, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, he could, he could have been absurdly wealthy and lived off of that. No, no, I think he could have been, you know, comfortable if he'd invested his money properly from just working on on that's the string of albums between 69 and uh, the mid 70s yeah, i thought i think he could have been comfortable retired easily or something like that but alan parsons felt the beck and call of the music so parsons himself is from london england and he paired off with a with a music composer named eric wolfson from glasgow of all places thus again confirmed to me that glasgow is the you know austin texas of scotland really mm-hmm. seems to get a lot of talent that comes out of glasgow and he also I want to say paired off, but I think the unofficial slash official third part uh, of Alan Parsons' project is Andrew Powell, which is strange because like you look at you read up on on Alan Parsons' project and they say okay the nucleus what defines Alan Parsons' project is Alan Parsons and Eric Wolfson. If you want to if you want to like simplify things, you could say that, but I don't think it's the complete story really. I think I think and even I recently just went to Sunrise Records and picked up I found Tales of Mystery there on vinyl and uh, Andrew Powell is mentioned not just mentioned but he's. He's given the same billing as the other two in that album. I'd say definitely in that album. Yeah, much more than some, a lot of the other ones. He, he has a huge 
a huge presence on that one. Mm-hmm. Andrew Powell is from Surrey, England, as well. So I think that's an interesting dynamic because London is kind of like the you know the city kids sort of place. Uh, Surrey is like the the rich part of England, and then a Scotsman thrown in, and so you get these these three people with three very very different upbringings. And you put them together to, to make music and stuff. And I think you're bound to get a whole wide range of influences and voices, like really distinct voices. Although, interestingly enough, and we will cover this, Eric Wilson does a fair share of singing, but was never happy with how his voice sounded. He, he always felt, look, I'm not really a singer. Yeah, you know, I can carry a tune, but I, I, I'm not really a singer. It's not really, you know, what I'm comfortable with. And in fact, there's some songs that early demos had Wilson on them. And then later, later versions did not. They they moved to like uh, Lenny Zakatek, Zakatek, however you pronounce his name, or somebody else. But you know, to be honest, I think Eric, Eric Wolfson's voice is just fine. But I get it. Well, you know, it's um, I can see why he's insecure about it. But like sometimes that sort of uh, it it has a it has a gentleness and a vulnerability to it mm-hmm. because it is it isn't a powerful voice. But that that has a charm that's kind of distinct and. Of its own as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can kind of connect with that. I think that sometimes not having a perfect voice is exactly what the song needs. Yeah, he was... He was a, he always struck me as kind of... A, and certainly as the career went on, I'm more comfortable behind the scenes. More comfortable uh, being in the, in the production and the work and the composition than, you know, going up to the mic and, and singing. Uh, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. And, and I mean, I think part of the issue therein is that that was the way Parsons felt as well. So you had two uh, two composers as opposed to, you know, uh, a composer and a, and a voice sort of sort of thing. Let us go back then. We're going to 1976 when, again, Parsons and Wolfson and Andrew Powell get together and they also start recruiting a few other musicians and um, also some vocal talents too for a project. So, Doug, as a band that started in the 1970s... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is The Six Degrees from King Crimson. Now, this one is really, really easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could go down the Pink Floyd route because there's connections between Pink Floyd mm. and King Crimson. Most notably that in a momentary lapse of reason, Tony Levin, the bass player, played on that album. Oh, did he? Yeah, because um, Roger Roger Waters had left, so they they brought in Tony Levin to play. But even more direct than that Hmm. is that uh, Alan Parsons Project and King Crimson have, in fact, shared a member. In that uh, in Eye in the Sky and Ammonia Avenue, Mel Collins plays saxophone on those albums. Oh, I didn't know that. And he played saxophone on... Actually, he played, I think, a collection of instruments. Um, but Reed instruments, I believe, yeah. Yeah, on Islands by King Crimson. Hmm. So King Crimson is where you got to start. Then uh, I, I think it was almost a decade later he joined Alan Parsons' project. So. Is, is he on their current lineup? King Crimson? Mel Collins. He is. Actually, yeah, he's yeah. back. He's, he's, a Crimson, he's a Crimson member right now. Mm. So, yeah, that, one of the only times where somebody from the 70s uh, has rejoined the band. Actually, it might be the only time... Uh, because I seem to recall when we saw him live, he was the one who was playing the uh, playing the clarinet, was he not? Yeah, yeah. It's it's that simple, folks. <laughs> Great. There you go. 
this originally was just going to be a project, a, a mm-hmm. sort of a musical project uh, based on the the works of Edgar Allan Poe called Tales of Mystery and Imagination. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like they went the Alan Parsons Project. That's the name of our band. Yeah, it was more like yeah, we're putting together this album. Uh, oh, and what it is is that they they had this vision, uh, almost prophetic, I would say, that one day instead of bands being sort of the the spotlight. Mm. Uh, the producers would start to become the, like the film directors, as it were, like with directors kind of like getting a lot of spotlight instead of movie stars, instead of bands like that, that uh, the idea was that the producer would start to become like the, the, the famous director of albums. And I feel like it took a long time, but I feel like we've kind of we kind of got there in the 2000s with, mm-hmm. with especially when hip hop like producers started to play such a big part. In like the composition of the songs, the first one that always comes to mind, of course, is Timbaland. For better or for mm-hmm. worse, Timbaland absolutely became such a name. Even though half the time you'd be like, "So what exactly is he doing?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is that? What, what is he doing? Todd of the Shadows. I don't know if you saw his most recent episode is uh, on a couple of DJ Khaled sons, and legitimately, it's like DJ Khaled has basically done just this. He gets other people together to make a song, then he's just kind of like dancing a bit in the in the music video in the background. Now that being said, though that's that's kind of like a sort of a modern day ex- example, and I would never claim. Well, what is Alan Parsons actually doing? Um, <laughs> no, but the idea is is that the 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 name and bringing together the talent is uh, at at times just as big a deal as the talent itself. It's interesting. I I know what our dad had this one for for quite a while, but I don't remember hearing it until I was into my teens, to be honest. But he had it on cassette. And he had it for a while. So I don't know. I mean, my first impression of it, of it, you know, seeing it was just like, well, do they just tell stories or whatever? But no, it is an interesting album. There's narration. Orson Welles seems to play kind of the overarching voice of, of or voice for Edgar Allan Poe. Well, actually, not until the later release, the 87 remaster. If you actually listen to he, it wasn't done in time for the actual release of the of the original album. Mm-hmm. So uh, so this would have been right before he died then. Well, he died in the 80s, but well, the thing is, he had recorded it originally in the uh, 70s. Yes. But what had happened was, he just basically didn't didn't finish it in time for the album, to, for it to be properly put into the album, so it was actually cut out. Um, but I do think that the version, the 87 remastering, mm-hmm. with him put into it, I think is the superior version. Okay, so does this explain why the closing out of the album, um, the narration is not by Orson Welles, but is by... Um, it's, it's an actor. He's the actor who played uh, Romeo in Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, but the narration, it's done by a different... A different um, it could be, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Or it could be that they just wanted a different voice for that part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So basically you have each composition revolves around a different story by Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. There is a, uh, the Fall of the House of Usher suite, which is uh, basically takes up side B in its entirety, barring one song. Yeah. Uh, the closing song there. With apparently the prelude taking up uh, over uh, almost half of it. <laughs> yeah, no, you see, now this is the interesting thing because, like, the first half of the, the album, Side A, is a sort of a, it's it's a rock, rock and, uh, and synth composition. But then the, the second, the Fall of the House of Usher contains, like, a lot of uh, orchestral work. I mean, it's not, not like, a, a clear divide, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty significant divide. There's some orchestral stuff, like, in Cask of Amontillado and stuff, but... Uh, it's it's an interesting kind of uh, kind of separation that they have there, and then to close out with uh, to one in paradise, a sort of a softer uh, choir backed song, which is actually a fantastic song. I don't think there's a weak song really on the album. They all kind of bring something something different to it. Obviously, seems to have just been 
like a very well-conceived vision for this album. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a great album. Yeah, uh, just a great atmosphere. Tons, it's got tons to offer musically, um, but at the same time, like the vision is very clear. It, it's sort of def- one of those like concept albums that's like doesn't miss a beat. Like it doesn't, it doesn't ever feel like it wanders astray. It's, it's, it knows what it wants to do and it does it. And uh, and it's a really great sort of diverse musical experience. Yeah, I, I think it was one I didn't appreciate so much when I was younger. Although, yeah, I also don't remember listening to it when I was very young. But, uh, yeah, as I got older and I, I kind of started to see, like, the broad works of Alan Parsons, like, this feels like a really bold first step. And I think it, I think it hits it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, so, like I said, when I found the vinyl of it for, like, freaking six bucks, it's, uh, I mean, I, I, first off, I opened it up and, and scoped out the quality of the vinyl and was pleasantly surprised at how good it was, but, uh. Yeah, absolutely. So if you get an opportunity, take take a chance to listen to it. It doesn't include like a lot of the who, people who become staples of the Alan Parsons project later in, in the career. But even so, I want, I gotta give major props for the uh, major props for the the uh, cover arts and uh, all the 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 arts that uh, that weaves its way throughout the entire uh, the entire album. It's worth like I I know for the cassette if you opened it up, it's like a freaking accordion because of all the stuff in there. But uh, in the vinyl, it's got nice little pages and. Uh, even in the CD, take a look if you have the opportunity. Yeah, you know what? What is interesting is also like it does. It, it does feel like it's a very unique entity um, in the collection of the works of the Alan Parsons Project. Mm. Like, I mean, I mean, again, it's a it's a first step. It, it and whatever Alan Parsons Project became, it wasn't what they had in mind at this point in time. So, you can really kind of see that. You can you can see that it's it's a very it is a thing all of its own. Mm-hmm. It did sell. It did sell. Actually, I think, to be honest, it probably did a little better than they were expecting, to be honest. Um, I think they, they just kind of wanted to do it and put it out there and just say, ah, oh, yeah, this is kind of a cool little thing that we did. Nice little concepts album. But it actually charted reasonably well. I don't think it really charted in North America as, as well as it did in the UK. No, not really. It actually did okay in Canada. Mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, it might have also had very limited distribution as well. It's kind of hard to say. Uh, at this point in time, certainly, and again, there there were reissues as well. So I mean, um, but I think history has treated it pretty well. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So it didn't actually take that that much longer before they headed into the studio again, because in June of nineteen seventy seven, they decided to kind of go. I mean, it's it's a similar sort of vein in. They released the album iRobot, which is a concept album based upon the works of Isaac Asimov, and it's interesting that certainly Poe and Asimov. They're both uh, science fiction fantasy writers, but just on different points in the spectrum. I won't say they're opposite points, but very different points in the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and certainly different different focuses and stuff like that. And what a, what an interesting idea. What an interesting idea to do. I, st- I still can't get over the cover art. I mean, I'm kind of used to it at this point, but it is kind of a silly looking robot. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I, I almost remember as a kid looking at it, Kind of wishing it was cooler. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I mean, like, I'm like, I, th- I think I, th- I think this is cool, but I don't know. <laughs> the swirly thing in his head, I don't, I don't really get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, iRobot is one that I definitely remember growing up with and, and hearing quite a bit. Uh, in part of the absolutely, absolutely kick-ass opening instrumental track. Oh my god, this is such an amazing song. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. I literally, I listened to it with headphones. Then the very intro of it, mm-hmm. I could listen to again and again and again. And I, and I, I want to make the bold statement 
that it might be the best produced piece of music ever. Wow. <laughs> like, I just, I just, I cannot get enough of, like, well, he's the re- subtle Well, he's details. gone back and remastered it, though, a few times, eh? So, does it get better, you think, with each, uh, with each uh, oh, pass? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, if you ever listen to the uh, the Legacy Edition that uh, that he put out most recently, if you listen to it side by side with the other, it's like, oh, man, he's... He's uh, he's sharpened it up. It's mm-hmm. and the thing is, it's 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 an interesting thing listening to because I've done the same thing with the Tales of Mystery and Imagination. Is listen to the '76 version and then the '87 version, and just like trying to listen to the details. And you're like, it's weird that the songs are the same, mm-hmm. but they sound different. And it's it's pro- it's production stuff that I don't even like really understand. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even know why I'm hearing it and it sounds different, but it does, and it sounds. And uh, yeah, he, every time he goes through it, he he cleans it up and he makes it better. And man, you gotta oh uh, yeah, anyone who's listening to this, you gotta listen to the the opening track, iRobot off of iRobot. Gotta listen to it in a quiet room with headphones on and just like try and take it in. It is incredible. <laughs> and the to be honest, the album, in my opinion, does not have a weak song on it. Very very much like Tales of Mystery and Imagination. It's it really goes on a really goes on a journey instead of uh, having the track titles all be a different say different story by Asimov. Instead, it kind of explores different concepts that Asimov like to play with instead. So you disconnect between humans and artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence becoming pariahs in society and the notion that you know even with the advanced changes in in society. Um, life still goes on, you know, that sort of thing, creation, destruction. So there's, there's a lot of that put in, but it's, it's put in really effortlessly. It's, um, uh, it's really, really a fantastic, fantastic album. It gets really dark in the second half, but it, it's, uh, it, it has a moment of levity in it with a uh, day after day, but then it goes dark again. And this is where we see Lenny Zakatek, maybe I want to say, uh, mm-hmm. first joins us in uh, for just one track, Zach-a-tech? but... Yeah. Zakatek, sure. But I mean, I, I yeah, you know, with names it could be pronounced. Yeah. Anyway, you know, it's funny the music video for "I Wouldn't Want to Be Like You." You know, I actually don't think I've seen the music video. Yeah, it's uh, there's there's a, an android like thing with like a, a black sort of mannequin head, and it's part. It's a very simple music video, and Parsons himself, and they're and they're out they're outside, and he keeps trying to find it, and it keeps trying to find him and stuff, and it's a very simple idea, but I kind of like the idea of of that sort of like. It's got a human shape to it, but it's missing all the details look to to an android or a robot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost too bad they didn't go with a similar sort of look for the, the cover art, to be honest. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's been like 40 years. Yeah, um, no, there's no going back now. Yeah, it's fine. It works. <laughs> and I think this album works best listening to start to finish, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's, especially the second half. I just, you it know, just whenever like... I try to listen to like out of order and stuff, it just doesn't work as well. Yeah, I can't. I can't do it. It's because it, it's such a cohesive piece of music. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe a few songs from the from the um, from the first half, but but if you want the optimum my robot experience, you just got to listen to the album. It's it was made to be played together. The songs joined together. There's a whole story. Like it, it's a musical story. You can't just you can't just walk in and out of it. I think mm-hmm. you got you got to commit. But because like it's such, I think it's their best album to be honest. Uh, which. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say it's it's the, probably the best their best work. I, I I think from a from a musical perspective, from a songwriting perspective, from the ambition of it, like it every everything works great on this. And I know that I have some bias because I, you know, I grew up with it. I have a very sentimental attachment, but 
I, I you know I've also like reviewed a lot of the their albums recently and mm-hmm. and and they've sort of like kind of had to accept accept that there's some cracks in some of them and that I you know like and some there's certain songs that I know like I like because it's nostalgic mm-hmm. but I don't feel that way with anything on here I feel like this is 100 percent like this is this is there's no cracks there's no filler this is just a great, great album from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, it was at this point, really, that they, they... It was Arista, was the label. They were actually pretty pleased, all things to considered, with, with the with the sales of the album and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, so, it was one of their biggest hits, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, you know what? This is really good. Let's get you guys uh, hooked into a contract, right? And so they said, we need to get, like, three albums out of you guys. One for next year, and then two for the year after. And Parsons is like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah sure, sure, sure. <laughs> For better or for worse. And we'll come back to that. Now, the next album released in 1978. Good God. They're, they were busy. God, busy, they, busy, busy, yeah. busy. I, I can't imagine. And I, I, no, I don't even see it very much anymore these days, even with newer bands. Mm. But just like churning out albums so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, once a year, it just feels like, man, that's the, the, like, the well's going to dry up, doesn't it? Right. So this this one is a bit uh, a bit different. We move away from we're we're still dealing with a concept album, but we're not de- dealing with anything literary. Instead, actually, do you have it handy? He, they they actually say explicitly what their what their statement or mission statement for this album was. Yeah, I do actually. It is from the rise and fall of the ancient dynasty to the quest for a key to unlock the secrets of the universe. This album seeks to amplify the haunting echoes of the past. And explore the unsolved mysteries of the present. Pyramid, the last remaining wonder of the ancient world. Yeah, so we're dealing with a lot of uh, a lot of sort of mysticism and uh, e- Egyptian culture, and maybe a connection to uh, a connection to the past that we have in the present. I remember t- t- asking my dad, you know, I, I don't even know what Al- Alan Parsons, the man, looks like at one point, and he says, "Well, he's on the cover of Pyramid." <laughs> And of course, if you look at the cover of Pyramid, he's got his hand up, like obscuring like half his face. It's really not a good way to uh, to get to capture his likeness. There, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like okay, so there's a bit of a blur. You see, he's got a beard, and he's he's has all his fingers. <laughs> That's good. At least on the one hand, yeah. Mm. I've actually really really liked this uh, this cover art, just because it's, it's like the sand dunes and the pyramid, and it's just kind of like bleeding out from him. You know, sort sort of thing. Like, like he's like it's like it's something that's haunting him. Like it's on his mind. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. I think it's pretty cool. It's visually pretty cool. I, I mean, it's a bit of an outdated effect, but at the same time, you know, it works. It works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, the the blue contrasting the like the golden, the golden look of the of the room, the the glow. Yeah, I think it. I think it's cool. I like it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's actually all things considered, it's a it's a short album. Actually, yeah. 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 yeah, it's only 30, 37 minutes. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it, though. You know, it never would have occurred to me. But, yeah, I mean, we start off with uh, the first side, basically, just plays one song into the other very, very well. A Voyager is a fantastic instrumental track to, like, to like kick things up, and then which then immediately goes into uh, what goes up, which has some fantastic production work in, in that one. And then the eagle right will rise again, you know, brings things down a notch, and then one more river picks it up again. And then we've got two more instrumentals. Hypergamma Space is on the second on the second side. That sort of instrumental track you'll see quite a bit with Alan Parsons' albums moving forward, where it's a sort of a, a sort of a synth a synth rocky instrumental track. Mm-hmm. And then it closes out closes out on the absolutely tragic shadow of a lonely man. 
And actually, in the lap of the gods, that instrumental track too is fantastic. Actually, you know, all things. I don't think there's a weak track on this one either, to be honest. Yeah, this is start to finish a really, really good album. I feel like it's uh, it's ho hum in certain places. I actually feel that the Eagle Will Rise Again is one of the one of the less interesting songs. I don't know. I I, I just it doesn't captivate me too much. It's not mm. like I see it coming up. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, same with the Shadow of a Lonely Man. I mean, I'll give that one uh, credit because it's the last track, and it's it uh, it does have this sort of like tragic finale kind of feel. But I don't again. I don't like like look forward to it. But at the same time, if it's on, I'm like, okay, let's give it another go. I th- in defense of that song, I think as well in terms of the theme. I mean, I think it closes it out by being a reflection of man today no longer connected to the past like he's now he's now disconnected from everything around him you know and and, and his own history and stuff like that and and so it closes out kind of like the, the the state of man right now sort of thing mm-hmm. and and then he's wallowing all he can think about is his own misfortune and and stuff like that and everything that was that was achieved by by man and stuff behind him and, and the accomplishments are, are completely forgotten because he's now completely self-absorbed not not necessarily un you know not necessarily selfish maybe his life really does suck and and all that sort of stuff but now he's he's just he's just so tremendously disconnected that that is that is the state right now sort of thing that's right that's my feeling of it yeah and, and i think it gets the emotions across pretty well but it, I, it's just like one that i'm like eh, okay you know i could take it or leave it um, i think in part maybe it's kind of a little jarring having hypergamma spaces lead into it maybe as well. maybe yeah yeah you could have squeezed another song into there possibly yeah I mean, if you're looking at look at the looking at the like the, the tracks yeah i think so but that being said i think uh the highlights are pretty are pretty phenomenal one more river i love the drums and that mm. it's very it's got a very kind of uh exciting feel to it i can't take it with you i think is amazing uh i think it's a great sort of like new wave kind of track uh, about a man trying to bargain his way out of death i think mm. um and the lap of the gods is incredible probably the highlight of the album this is this really great instrumental, like epic, epic song that's that becomes like a, it's, I don't know, it's very cinematic. No, very much so. Very, yeah. very cinematic. Uh, Pure Mania, I like, uh, <laughs> even though it's weird. It's like it don't. I can see this not working for a lot of people, but I don't mind it. it it's. Um, <laughs> I think within the context of the album, it's easier to to accept. To you know, that's interesting because I almost feel like it kind of sticks out in the album. Oh really? Yeah. I mean, like I know that it's sort of important kind of thematically hmm. um but musically i do feel like where it's placed in the album I, I feel it's kind of a it's kind of a strange like weird goofy song in, in amongst these more serious sounding songs <laughs> do i hear something kind of weird what's that vocalist jack harris he was the one who did the vocals for day after day day after day yeah that's him and he's got an impressive vocal range. Also, he also yeah. did the the deep voice for Dr. Tar and Professor Feather. You know, just what you need to make you feel better. Oh. He has a shocking, shocking vocal range. That's actually pretty impressive. Yeah. Just what you need to make you feel better. Just what you need to make So... Yeah, I like the song, but I'm not sure if it's placed optimally in the album. You know, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just side side two. Maybe needs another song, and maybe kind of needs you know. So what if a little okay, bit. what if it was what if it was pure mania, mm-hmm. hypergamma spaces, and the lap of the gods, and the shadow of a lonely man? Do you think that that would work better? Actually, I do. <laughs> yeah. When you phrase it like like that, 
then I feel like there's more of a more of an arc. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you might not even need that extra song then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huh. So anyway, beyond so as you can see, it's kind of nitpicking because mm-hmm. ge- like generally, I think this album is really good. Uh, I think it does hold up for the most part. So Pyramid is still definitely uh, worth checking out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not I, it's not the masterworks that I Robot was, but at the same time, this I almost feel is the beginning of what Alan Parsons would become. Yeah, and sort of like this is this is indicative of the direction that the band is going in, and and a highlight of that direction. I think it is worth mentioning at this point as well. I feel like um, you, they had Parsons and Wolfson and Powell. They had so much time to to really prepare for Tales of Mystery and you know to really flesh it out. And even mm-hmm. with iRobot, but I mean now at this point with the workload and stuff, you know you don't have as much time really to conceptualize. I mean they're, they're still putting out fantastic stuff, but you just don't have the same amount of time to conceptualize. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually highlights as well what. And I don't want to sound too negative, but what, what what went wrong with Eve? The next album came out in 1979, yeah. uh, and it was Eve. And first off, got to say, big props, fantastic concept. The concept being the extremely complicated, and this isn't a concept that's that it's not like it hasn't been done. It has been done a lot, but the complicated relationship between men and women and the biblical history thereof, and the now the contemporary uh, reflections on the biblical history so fa- fantastic concept but this is where the execution gets a little kind of wonky i think in, and again i think in part because of a lack of time and they were feeling pressure to like get get this done now it's not a bad album in fact some parts of it are really good the two instrumental tracks lucifer and secret garden are both phenomenal and are both on like lucifer is a kind of a dark cinematic instrumental track and secret gardens are kind of a nice sort of like uplifting yeah fun sort of mm-hmm, instrumental mm-hmm. there's some really good uh, moments in it and and they're both spaced out you know basically opposite ends of the album too yeah to kind of round it out even though they essentially deal with the same thing some of the songs come off as misogynistic but are they're balanced out with songs that are very encouraging to women and stuff like that and it's it that's done on purpose but some of the tracks just they don't feel as full and as realized as they could be sounds like you won't be there it sounds kind of like am yeah you won't be there it sounds like am 70s soft rock to me or don't hold back as well and if i could change your mind has has moments of it but at least has a really good instrumental kick near the end and stuff but for me the highlights are probably damned if i do and winding me up even though winding me up is kind of a silly goofy song i like it i like this the sound of it but yeah, lie down with dogs and I'd rather be a man or they're good. <laughs> you know, actually, it's longer than Pyramid. That's weird. Yeah, it does. Because this one actually feels short. I feel the length to it. You know, I used to not really like it at all mm. back in the day. But, you know, I I think I warmed up to it with a bit of time. But I definitely do see this as sort of being one of their weakest albums. I, I'd just be echoing a lot of your thoughts. Saying that the, <laughs> Huzzah! <laughs> that the instrumentals are kind of the... the uh, the highlights although i think i might like who don't hold back a little better than you just i guess maybe it's just novel that they actually have a female singer <laughs> definitely um, and it's good i it's good that they do it's good that because mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to have uh woman empowering songs and no women on your album right mm-hmm. uh true yeah but actually even though i i, I purposely re-listened to it a few times because because i was trying to prepare for the podcast and, and this is one of the albums i know the least 
there's still quite a few songs that I'm like, how did that one go again? <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's the problem is that, yeah, there's not a tons that's really memorable. I'd rather be a man. I'd say is is pretty good. It's 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 not a terrible album, but mm-hmm. it's definitely but it's definitely a step down. Um, it's it's definitely not the same quality as what we uh, what we've come to expect so far. I, I mean, I guess it's you know, it's, and also it's surrounded by some pretty solid releases. So it's it's kind of I wish yeah, I kind of wish it was better. I, I again, I also appreciate the concept. I think that it's uh, it's an interesting idea to play around with, uh, just you know, gender politics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the cover art's not anything to really, you know, it's not that's not particularly special either. It's just kinda... allegedly the veils are hiding scars. The women's faces are faces are scarred, but for the life of me, I don't really see it. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. I, now it would have been interesting if, like, say, if they had like black eyes and like cracked lips and bleeding lips and stuff. That would have been powerful. I mean, okay, in that case, again, I guess it's kind of the same. It just echoes some of the issues with the album. Then mm-hmm. that the the cover art is a very interesting concept. But obviously isn't delivered as well as we'd hoped. <laughs> there you go. Okay, yeah. Because yeah, because uh, it doesn't get across exactly what we we thought. I thought it was just women in black veils, but no. If it, if it's covering scars, like that is actually that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you don't need to be like obvious, but at the same time, you want people to see what you're trying to portray. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not saying mm-hmm. they should be beaten to a pulp, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. like if you don't, a... you don't need to get Chris Brown. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! Whoopsie. Yeah. So before we get into the next album, I think at this point, the, the project kind of felt like, crap, we've been given a raw deal by this label. We just don't have time to, to get anything to get anything done. And so they spent three days in like a garage or something. Oh yeah, who knows? Yeah, tinkering <laughs> around uh, with a synth and <laughs> passed off the label this album called The Sicilian Defense. <laughs> <laughs> and have you listened to it now? I have listened to The Sicilian Defense. They are by no means proud of it or, or hold it in high regard. No, um, Alan Parsons said that they would never see the light of day. Which is interesting because then he uh, he got he got a little cheeky with a re-release of Eve and released one of the tracks off of that, put it on the bonus uh, for Eve, saying, <laughs> here you go. But there was actually interest in it. Not like, oh man, this sounds amazing interest, but it's just like, we kind of want to hear the rest like well, yeah like what is this sicilian defense album yeah i think it was eventually released in the complete parsons yeah yeah um, well, which was released just a few years ago yeah i think with the asterisks of this was not meant to be taken seriously <sighs> you can find it on youtube pretty easily uh because everything winds up on youtube it is obviously a negotiation tactic it's just like <laughs> look this is what this is what you get if we don't get time to actually make the albums fair i'm split on a sicilian defense the synth tracks are very poorly done. Like the backing percussion is are those settings that synths like yeah, uh, yeah. actually have you know, <laughs> and I recognize it immediately. It's just like you know when you go when you're a kid and you you punch in. Oh, that sounds cool. I'll play to that. That's exactly what that is. <laughs> However, some of the piano pieces I think sound nice. I think sound pretty good. <laughs> they're just, some, yeah, they're, but they're they're not fleshed out at all. That's no, they're not fleshed out. But I think you know, just for like sitting down and, and playing something kind of nice, I think they sound nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they that's said they just they sound nice. That's that's <laughs> the most I'm willing to give the Sicilian defense. The piano pieces sound nice. Hey, so okay, so I mean, I, I I agree with you. Sometimes it just sounds like complete garbage. <laughs> uh, like like you gotta be kidding me, guys. I mean, uh, like this is clearly an f you to the label. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, this is a, this is what you guys get. Yeah, but sometimes sometimes it's not bad. <laughs> it's not. Ne- it's never great. <laughs> uh-huh. But sometimes it's like okay, yeah, yeah. This this could be fleshed out into something, but they obviously weren't 
planning on fleshing it out into something. Mm-hmm. So my, my question for you, Steve, is is like, should they have even bothered to release it, even in like this complete Parsons? Like, do you think that something like that is even worth even worth it? No. Like, <laughs> okay. legitimately, no. Like, sometimes it's cool to kind of hear, in the special editions, it's kind of to, cool to hear the demo tracks or the intermediate tracks and stuff like that. But that's only because that's only from a historical point of view. It's just like, here's where they started, and then the, the finished tracks are where they ended up. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of seeing, seeing the process is interesting. But if you see the beginning stuff without the end product... Actually, that's not even true because sometimes in some of the uh, there's like de- songs that they started but didn't even finish for for uh, in some of this bonus tracks and some of the re-releases, and I wouldn't even say that these are up to that caliber really because they like with those early tracks they didn't finish. At least you can tell they were working on it, you know, and and trying to like. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just I just don't see the point. It's, no, I wouldn't have bothered to be honest. Yeah. I I don't feel like. I don't know. My life was changed. No, not really. Uh, but if anyone's curious, mm-hmm. it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. You the can... Sicilian Defense. The tracks mm-hmm. are named after. Curiously, the tra- tracks are named after the moves of the Sicilian Defense. It's a chess chess uh, chess opening. Mm-hmm. Except when that one track was re released on as the the cheeky he 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 for the the Eve special edition. He then gave it a name. It was like Elsie's Game or something like that. Oh, okay. But uh, again, it's just being cheeky. It's don't don't read too much into it, folks. There's not much to read yeah. into it. So I, to be honest, I think I think Arista got the point because they stayed with Arista. Um, I think they got the point and they said, yeah. okay, fine, have some more time. I think yeah, yeah. They the, the contract was renegotiated. Mm-hmm. So successful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. The Sicilian defense played played up. Played yeah, up. yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. It did. <laughs> um, in 1980, then after a good year i want to say about a year of recording and arranging we yeah we get a turn of a friendly card a concept album about gambling and the dangers therein of gambling so now our concepts are starting to get a little more loose but are still welcome i saw someone when i first picked up this album it was off of amazon i saw an amazon review where a person was like uh yeah on the surface this album is about gambling but uh if you look at it deeper it's actually about religion look at the cover art it's a stained glass one this is about religion and I was like, oh, that's an interesting idea. And then I listened to it, and I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> no, I, think it's, I think it's about gambling. It's about gambling. <laughs> and the reason why it's a stained glass is because then people turn, you know, the idea is gambling is becoming the religion, right? It's the the, the almighty, you know, king of diamonds is is the god mm. sort of thing. It's, I mean, I mean, that would have been an interesting dimension, but I don't see it no. played out at all. No, I, I think it's... I mean, they they've never been one to bury to bury their uh, their concepts. Yeah, that's the thing is that is that it kind of like iRobot. It's not like that was secretly. If anything, that's a more religious album than this one. Yeah, they you know it's about gambling and it's and they never hid that. <laughs> it seems seems obvious to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, just just as an aside, when we saw Parsons live. It was at a casino, Silver Reef Casino. Yeah, in uh, Washington State. Oh, the irony! And he played. They played the entire Turn of a Friendly Card Suite. Uh, like earlier albums, the second half is all, almost completely dominated by a uh, by a medley suite, and they played that that whole sixty minutes sixty minute thing there in the casino. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, wow, ballsy! But you know, I was I, at first I was just like, are they going to play the entire suite? And as soon as they got to Snake Eyes, it's like, yes, yes, they are. Snake Eyes, which by the way is a fantastic song. How the hell is Snake Eyes about religion? 
How? It's about rolling dice. And like, just, just, oh, come on, give me snake eyes. Oh, come on. I'm going to keep on rolling this dice. And I want it to roll the way I want it to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I really, th- I mean, maybe that guy, that guy can read whatever he wants in the album. But <laughs> yeah, right. like, but it, it's, they're, they're not hiding it. They're not hiding their intent. All in all, great, great album. Goldbug is one of my all-time favorite instrumentals. Fantastic instrumental. Uh, maybe a price to play is a fantastic opening song leading into games people play my one complaint is time is track three time sung by wolfson is pretty long and it feels long i appreciate the sentiment of the song entirely because like while you're in the casino and you're gambling you're losing time completely like your time is is just being eaten up and is gone and you see this with people who go to the uh to the slots machines and are there and are just there and there forever and and it you're just losing that time, and once it's gone, it's gone. Grandma needs some time with her addiction, okay? <laughs> right. Don't, uh, don't play your games. And it's got some really nice vocal layering when he's uh, singing the counter melody against himself in the second half and stuff, but it does feel quite long, as opposed to I Don't Want to Go Home, which is about the exact same length, does not feel nearly as long as it. All in all, uh, especially the suite is, is really good uh, as well. All in all, a, a pretty fairly good album, a pretty fairly good album. Hmm, it's longer than the, uh, the previous I, two. I know, I know. I, I, but I'm, I'm kind of going like how it, how it feels when I listen to it start mm-hmm. to finish, you know? I think it's uh, I think it's one of their best, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I, You know, it's, it's interesting because part of me thinks I like Pyramid better than this. Mm-hmm. But then I kind of look at it and I'm like, but I think there's more songs I like on this. Like, I, I think there's not a song on here I don't like. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a case of like Pyramid's highlights being more of a highlight. But this one is more consistently good. Sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I see what you mean with time, but I feel like it's the only it's the only song that kind of drags. Yeah, and and I feel like it pays off. So it's it's not it doesn't feel like it's it's not worth my time, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> the gold bug, I agree, is terrific. Uh, the whole term of a friendly card, uh, sweet. Uh, you know, it beginning with the turn of a friendly card part one, and then ending with part two, like just really well conceived. A lot of interesting stuff going on in the middle. Games people play is terrific. Mm-hmm. No, uh, yeah, I, I, I think every every song works for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, this is a this is a terrific album, and uh, and again, like very very on point with its themes and ideas, and um, yeah, an, an excellent return to form. Uh, if, if there was any if there was any question of of if Alan Parsons was falling apart a- after Eve's release, I think Turn of a Friendly Card probably reaffirmed that they're that they're still a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. It is interesting that Dad didn't have Eve until way later, but he had the um, proceeding, he had Pyramid, and he had Turn of a Friendly Card mm-hmm. for like a long time. So yeah, it kind of like, during Eve, I think they dropped off his radar as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, strange enough, uh, when I saw him last, I asked him when he first got into Parsons, he, his best friend Dave Poussin was really into it, but he could not, he couldn't really give me a time as to when he actually got into them. Like, it, it, I guess he's just so aware of them that it's been too long at this point to remember mm-hmm. when he first got into them which is fair yeah yeah you know memory is one of those things it's, it's just kind of unless you're reaffirming the memory you can kind of get hazy yeah sure and again their gamble their gamble with uh with arista paid off because they then had a couple years to work on their next album uh one of their their most successful albums is eye in the sky the concept here is a is uh again a little more loose this one seems to be primarily about um, astrology, but also with with uh, surveillance as well. By the same token, and I kind of like kind of like you feeling like like there's a force, uh, whether it's a metaphysical force that is that is kind of like monitoring, watching, all seeing, 
that is that is going on. I actually our dad didn't have this one either. Yes, this one's kind of interesting that we didn't really hear growing up with it being their biggest hit, mm-hmm. or at least one of the biggest hits. Apparently, it was number one. It reached, or it reached a uh, yeah, it reached the top ten. It was it was only one of the only ones to go platinum along with iRobot and, and Turn of a Friendly Card. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, it evaded us. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, it makes sense because it was before we were born. Yeah, yeah. So like the like the actual. But so I don't know it's just kind of weird that that dad or mom didn't really get into the, this one at all. Dad, at least he was aware of it. He 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 was aware of it. He said he just can't get into it. Uh, certainly, the first half really blends itself well from Cyrus up to Gemini. They could be basically almost seen as one track because uh, they just go into they just go into each other really well. I in the Sky isn't a bad song by any stretch of the imagination. Actually, and actually, it has some really really good moments to it. It's just almost too bad that that is the that that was the the you know one of their the big song. It's like the song uh, that they're remembered for. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But certainly, "Children of the Moon" is a, a really kind of, is a is an excellent sort of upbeat sort of uh, sort of nice song. And Gemini is a nice little wind down track, and it's it's not a long track too, which is good because that's exactly what it needs. I think one of the biggest failings of this album is that you have two long closing tracks, "Silence and I" and "Old and Wise." They're very similar in tone and very similar in composition. And the fact there's both of them kind of slows the album for me. It kind of drags it down. I actually prefer Silence and I, I think, over over Old and Wise. Old and Wise just, just feels actually actually feels like it ends on a down note. It, what's, that, what's that track that has that nice long instrumental portion in the middle? Yeah, yeah, that's Silence and I. Okay, so... That one works better for me because there, there's a whole chunk in the middle that actually gets like really good. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I, I would feel like maybe that should have closed off the album. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and just and maybe drop just... Old and Wise. There's some great tracks on here, though. Uh, You're Going to Get Your Fingers Burned, I've always really liked. Uh, Psycho Babble is, is fairly good. Mamma like Gamma is another one of those, uh, those uh, instrumental tracks of like Hypergamma Spaces. And step by step might be my favorite track on the album. Uh, that that one is, is is more of a a romantic song. Yeah. So all in all, it's it's a fairly good album, but I do feel it's it's dragged a bit. I'd agree. I do think that the the, the linking of Cyrus and I in the sky, like the the two tracks merging together, is so perfect. Though mm. I in the sky, yeah, it's not the, it's not my favorite Parsons song by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like the because of the journey it kind of takes in the context of the album, it's it works really well. I think I'd get sick of it if I just heard it as a radio single. Yeah. But in the album, I think it's it pays off. Yeah, but I, I think I, I yeah I really like the middle of Silence and I and and you know I think because of because of how good the middle is, the beginning and the end are uh, they're worth it. I'd say. You know, yeah. it's it's not unlike um, Shadow of a Lonely Man in terms of his composition because Shadow of a Lonely Man has an instrumental bridge as well. I, yeah, and it's Seven Minutes too. Well, but yeah, yeah but the, the 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 middle is so good. Like, it, well, that's it, to say, it, it yeah. Takes, it, but it, as opposed to a Shadow of a Lonely Man, this one takes such a dramatic turn. Mm. Like, it's almost almost like a different song. That's true. That's um, true. And then then it, then it kind of winds back into Silence and I. Um, so I think that I, don't know, I I I really respect the ambition of that song, and I I, I really enjoy it. But yeah, as far as um, I th- I do feel like the whole isn't quite as good as the sum of his parts. Mm. So I. I, yeah, I kind of wish that the album as a whole was better, but it's worth listening to, for sure. And I, you know, one of the one of the downsides of having it be the 
the kind of one of the albums we listened to last is that a, there's sort of like a lot of like 80s Alan Parsons Alan Parsonisms in it. Yeah. That actually originated here, but we we're more fam- familiar with the later albums. So by by the time we listened to this, some of the ideas seemed more cliche to us. That's true. Yeah, it it, it was just kind of slanted for us. So unfortunately, mm. yeah, we we I think we just weren't in the prime state to be uh to listen to it. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. But, you know, same time from an objective point of view, I still would say it's probably not their strongest work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then a year later, we get into one of my favorite albums by them, uh, Ammonia Avenue. I love that cover art. They basically took like some some pipes from an industrial plant and then mirrored it and then mirrored that image. And you've got this strange sort of, uh, it almost, it used to, as a kid, it used to look like a kind of like a face mask sort of thing to me. But it's really just kind of like a, like almost like a, well, like a street, like overlooking a street. It kind of looks like a part of like a mech suit or something like that. To yeah. Me, you know, but yeah, it, but it, it was something I couldn't quite wrap my head around when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, looking at it, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just pipes being mirrored and, and but I think it looks great. I yeah. think it's a, it's a good cover. Also on the back of this album, there's like, there's like rows and rows of like soil samples and uh, men is sitting in front of them with their faces all planted in the in the soil samples and stuff like that. It's such a striking image. Don't know what it means. No, I think uh, Ammonia Avenue, uh, nineteen eighty four, actually two years later, was a fan- a fantastic, if slightly different step for them. Again, we're still kind of dealing with the concept, but now the concept is really loose. It seems to be industrialization uh, or, or something like the the relationship of the scientific community with ordinary people and stuff like that yeah yeah Yeah. but it's it's pretty you know this is one where i feel like i don't overly see it in the songwriting i think it's because they recorded this in vulture culture at the same time right and then kind of like divvied divvied up the tracks yeah uh and vulture culture spoiler alert is a far more unified album in terms of concept and musicality Mm -hmm. that being said though i think this is probably their best pop album I will say, because you get hit with pop song after pop song after pop song, and they're all really good. Yeah. Primetime's a, a great uh, album opener. Let Me Go Home, as opposed to I Don't Want to Go Home. That one has always stuck out to me. Hmm. Uh, one Good Reason, Since the Last Goodbye, and Don't Ask Me. Like, that whole first... Actually, no. Just the whole damn album. It, it both sides. Just, like, pop song after pop song, and they're all really, really good. We do have an instrumental, thankfully, in Pipeline. Uh, it, I don't think the album would feel complete without an instrumental. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think it would, it would quite have that person's identity without it. Ammonia Avenue has uh, several movements within it, which which are like the suites in previous albums, but not quite as developed along. Uh, Since the Last Goodbye, I think, is, is heartbreaking, and I've always had a mm-hmm. soft spot for, yeah. that, uh, for that song. Don't Answer Me has always been one of my favorite Parsons tracks, hands down. But, I mean, all things considered, it's a gr- like a really, really solid, solid album. Um, just not a, a solid concept album. It's definitely um, the prog roots are not very visible in here. Uh, they only kind of show in Pipeline and uh, parts of Ammonia Avenue. Uh, beyond that, it, it is very poppy. But you know what? Eric Wilson had a great ear for pop. He did. He really, really did. Um, he's way more involved in this one than... Uh, I, I mean, no, he's super involved because he's one of the, nu- the, the nucleus, but... Um, I guess from a performance standpoint, he's 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 more involved. Well, I do know that they were trying to get more hits. Yeah, um, is that the Eye in the Sky was a big success, and so 
they wanted to uh, try and replicate that success. And Eric Wolfson was the vocalist for Eye in the Sky, so they they kept they kept kind of trying to put his his voice became kind of a, the this the, the voice of Alan Parsons, even though they were even though he he wasn't even singing until like uh, until Turn of a Friendly Card. Mm. But uh, I don't mind. I don't mind as well. I think his his voice is, uh, works on all the songs he's on. Yeah, and they kept Lenny's Zack Attack, which is great, and Chris Rainbow. Mm-hmm. So that uh, they they kept the older vocalists as well, which is good because I think it would have been a huge folly to dump the previous vocalists and say, "Look, we're just going to do you know Eric going for yeah. that." Would have been just wrong. Yeah, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't have liked that either. I agree. Every, every song I, I really have quite an attachment to. Ammonia Avenue, the the title track, the last track, is, first of all, fantastic final track. Mm-hmm. Probably one of my favorite Parsons songs entirely. It, it it's up there with iRobot, I'd say. Um, as far as just like m- the musical ideas in it, um, and the the lyrical build. I mean, I don't really know what it's about, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I I feel like I don't need to because whatever like emotionally i get the i get the track mm-hmm. i get it on an emotional level the lyrical structure of it it's so good like it's it's so amazingly good yeah it re- really really resonates with me uh pipeline's a great instrumental track i think i'd just be echoing at this point i just really really great songwriting all the way through uh it is kind of like i know there are people who don't like this album because it's such an abandonment of the of the the and like any traces of the prog stuff, yeah. But at the same time, like there have been bands who have tra- transitioned into pop away from prog, who have done it much less gracefully than mm. this. So I feel like this feel it doesn't feel like a huge stretch from Eye in the Sky to me. Like it it does feel like a logical pro- progression. So I, I I really like it. I really I think it's really worthwhile to listen to. Mm-hmm. One hundred percent. And so the companion album to this uh, released the same year, uh, later in the same year, was Vulture Culture. And like I said before, this one is a little more unified in concept and in tone. This one is basically about a, you know, a society that is individualistic, that has no problems, you know, backstabbing, backstabbing each other for the sake of self-fulfillment. And this one, to be honest, has always been one of my favorites as well. It opens up with a fantastic Let's Talk About Me. You know, we live our separate lives sooner or later, Vulture Cultures. These are all really, really good songs. You know, I think Separate Lives, I think when they remastered it, I'm not a big fan of how they redid the vocal components of the chorus. But it's it's minor, but it always stood out to me. But I've always really, really enjoyed enjoyed Vulture Cultures, especially the way it kicks off and uh, Days Are Numbers. The Traveler is is hands down one of my favorite mm-hmm. uh, favorite tracks by them. I think yeah, it's that one's a lovely a lovely song. I mm-hmm. like it, and I can understand why they separated it. I mean, both are. Uh, I mean, this album's not particularly long, but it would be weird kind of having any of these tracks in with with Ammonia Avenue, to be honest. And like, yeah, so I mean, it feels like like this one was like the the concept album, and uh, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. This yeah, this is one we listened to a lot as a kid, and so I have a, a, a certain attachment to it. But I'm looking at things objectively. Mm. I kind of had to like be honest with myself that it's not their best. It's a bit inconsistent, and it's probably aged the worst. Mm. Uh, because I don't know what it is. It, this one sounds the most '80s of their stuff. Mm. That being said, I thoroughly enjoy, in completely unironic way, the first. Half. Um, <laughs> side one is the much stronger side. Every song, uh, yeah, L- Separate Lives, Let's Talk About Me, Days Are Numbered, Sooner or Later. 
I think they're all really, really great tracks. Uh, in the instrumental Hawkeye, yeah, uh, it's I like it, but it's it's definitely aged poorly. Mm. Um, it's it I think it's the setting they have on the synth, you know, it's yeah, it's a, yeah. um, almost harpsichord setting, you know. And then this, yeah, that harps, then, then that plus the uh, the saxophone, it's just like eesh. Uh, pipeline from Ammonia Avenue, the synth stuff in there is aged way better, mm. and um, it still has a lot of that really kind of cheesy uh, '80s saxophone, but but it it just it just doesn't feel as 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 aged. That being said, you know I don't I don't dislike it. Uh, it's same with you know somebody out there. A lot of the stuff hasn't aged super well, but uh, but I still like it. Mm-hmm. So I think the only exception is probably the same old son, where uh, I just kind of just don't even. I don't really feel feel that track. Vulture Culture it does have a pretty cool groove to it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. So this, you know, that's just a heads up for people who want to listen to it. Um, just be prepared for for that aged kind of sound. It's it's not a bad album by any stretch of the imagination. Just you know, it, just be prepared for it. Just just sounding more, much more eighties than most of the other stuff. Mm. Now, is this where Lady Hawk came up? Right around this area, yeah. There was yeah. a Lady Hawk album. Yeah. So you had referred me to to the soundtrack to Lady Hawk, which mm-hmm. was uh, composed by Andrew Powell and and produced by Parsons. Correct. I watched the trailer to Lady Hawk. Mm-hmm. Matthew Broderick. Michelle Pfeiffer, Rutger Hauer, Lady Hawk. Not very interested in seeing seeing it. Matthew Broderick was right right on the off the heels of War Games, and it was before Ferris Bueller by just a couple years. So I mean, he was his star was rising. Rutger Hauer in as a knight, and yeah, Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer as as a spell like a bewitched damsel. I've seen Lady Hawk actually. Oh, how is it? It's it's uh it's kind of a weird movie. It's Richard Donner. Yeah. So he, you know he's got a pretty good uh, pretty good at least around that time track record. But um, you know it's not a bad movie. Uh, it's been quite a while since I've seen it, uh, and I didn't watch it in like an optimum setting. It was sort of like kind of just playing while I was in a waiting room. Uh, that's a whole story for another day. Yeah, you know the the soundtrack is some, one of the big things that ages the movie mm. actually. Because uh, I and I think you can kind of feel in the soundtrack when you're listening to it, you, the the Eric Wolfson not being there. Because I I feel like in some ways he was he, he I mean you can hear like he's such a directional force in the Alan Parsons project that I feel like the other two I don't know just like the reins weren't quite on them they they they're, uh, you know it's one of those things where where it's it's a it's in retrospect kind of thing right. The more traditional soundtrack moments sound pretty good, mm-hmm. but there's certain songs that just have that kind of like '80s sound to it that uh, that just don't work for a soundtrack. Yeah, but that was a common thing in the '80s too. Like remember Tangerine Dream doing the soundtrack for Legend? Although I feel like like I really liked the music though. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but it was it was but, a thing. Yeah. But it, but it, a lot of these uh, a lot of the choices of having more modern composers and bands do the soundtracks for these movies uh, did have a side effect of having uh, having them age a little poorly. And I think that Lady Hawk is one of them. Um, but I'd still say the movie is probably worth seeing. Um, I don't know if it's worth owning. Um, <laughs> and the soundtrack, it's it's sort of a... It's just kind of a nice, like, side project. Uh, it's not a, it's not bad, but it's it's kind of a weird... It's kind of weirdly inconsistent. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of felt the same way. I, I like there wasn't anything in there that particularly moved me that I was just like, ah, I gotta own this, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, 
Yeah. But it's but you know it's interesting. It's sort of like a, oh okay, well that's what they were doing around this time. Yeah. There was. It's it's worth knowing the reason why they approached Powell and Parsons was because Donner was doing location scouting, and was listening to those albums as he was doing it, and it just kind of got into the you know got into his head, and he likes the sound, and he's like yeah okay. Which albums? Or just, just... he was oh he's listening to Ammonia Avenue. Ah, uh, okay. Ammonia Avenue primarily, but not just Ammonia Avenue, but primarily. Now to late '85, an album that we didn't hear until quite a bit later, curiously missing from from our dad's collection as well, uh, Stereotomy. Do you want to explain how this cover art works? Because because you've actually got like how does how does it work? Uh, it's a, it's a vinyl cover, right? Like meant right. to be vinyl, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, basically, it, there's uh, there's two colors on the cover art. There's a, a bright blue and a bright red, or is you say that more more of an orange? I see red. It's very yeah. It's it's very vibrant red. And what it is is that you have two. It goes into the sleeve, and there's two sides. They're tr- transparent, but colored. One's a blue side and one's a red side. It's like and 3D glass, those old school boxy 3D glasses. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, they're about that color. And then, depending on which way you flip the record, the cover art is... Uh, the color that it's up against disappears, and so you get a different cover art depending on which which color it's turned to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a really hard thing to explain. It's the easiest thing to see visually, but for me to try to put it into words... Uh, it's kind of like a filter, I guess. Yeah, and so I mean, most of the releases since then have um, have just been a really kind of a regular cover, just sort of an, aug- an augmentation, just the blue portions kind of put on. But I really like the novelty of the of the more in depth. The, the more interactive cover art. Mm-hmm. And I've caught myself quite lucky that I have it because apparently a lot of people, when it first got released, just ripped off the colored uh, thing thinking that it was just part of the packaging. Oh. And then afterward, they're like, oh, whoopsie. <laughs> this is part of this was part of the cover art. Yeah. Um, so the fact that I, I got mine used and I got mine with the, with the sleeve, I feel pretty lucky about. And I'm very happy with that. One of the prizes of my record collection, actually. Yeah. Stereotomy refers to how people or objects are molded by their surroundings. And one of the examples given is like how a pop star or movie star will kind of change who they are based on their fame. Now, that's an interesting idea to, after the previous few albums and and their varying degrees of success, to release an album that's kind of reflective of that and almost kind of saying, yeah, I guess we did kind of change who we were and how we were based on our fame. You know, kind of an kind of interesting introspection to to base then an album off of. Mm-hmm. And interesting enough, three instrumental tracks on here. Yeah, they definitely go much more back to the prog roots of the, of this one. Like this one is not a pop album, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's kind of nice to hear. You know, I don't I don't mind that they went down the pop route for a little while. Nah. Um, um, but it was it was nice to have them back, um, trying to make more innovative, interesting music again. Yeah, for sure. It's most of the tracks, though. I like the instrumentals, and I like the title tracks because uh, it opens and closes on stereotomy. Beaujolais, I think, is really good too. Light of the world, limelights. Mm, uh, yeah, they're a little sappy. In the real lie. world, is dated. Like that could be just that feels like a straight off of a, a soundtrack as well. Yeah, uh, it feels like an end credit sort of song. Yeah, um, <laughs> put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I have some mixed feelings. Mixed feelings on the album. I, I feel like the high points are, are pretty high, um, but there's a there's a bit of dated material material on here. But I absolutely appreciate what they were trying to do. I mean, they were just like, uh, they're just like, you know what? Let's uh, let's let's see if we can bring some more prog back in. Let's see if let's see how we can get this going. Uh, you can see that Wolfson has 
It's just like, look, I'm just going to kind of step back from the uh, the the spotlight a little more. Yeah, I think it was they're trying to shed some of the identity that they built up uh, earlier in the decade. Mm. I think I like it quite a bit, actually. Um, except, yeah, I do agree that uh, Limelight and Light of the World drag, and they're not they're not the best songs. Uh, they're a little sappy, especially Light of the World, mm-hmm. uh, and it's long too. Yeah, but everything else is really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you in the real world is totally dated, but I, I don't mind it at all. The and the instrumentals are so good. Mm-hmm. Urba, Ur, Ur, Urbania? Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Urbania is phenomenal. Uh where's the walrus is I mean, it's seven and a half minutes, but like it's good. I don't it doesn't I never lose my interest in that one. Um and then the Chinese Whispers transitioning to Stereotomy 2. They're very short, but man, they're you know they they do the job pretty well. Stereotomy also yeah terrific track. Mm-hmm. Yeah no I think I think it's a really solid release. It's kind of a shame we didn't uh, we didn't grow up with this one. Yeah, but it was a nice. It was not, it was very refreshing to kind of uh, to find this album mm-hmm. because it was like oh man like here's some classic sounding Alan Parsons that we. That was that was like new to us. Yes, yeah. yeah. I was it was I was I don't know that, that was kind of a unique experience because there's so much of it we had just heard before over and over again and and you know they, it has a sentimentality to us but this was like this was new and fresh although I mean at this point it's not new and fresh I think no. we've had it for like a decade now but yeah I guess so yeah I mean, this just me like ballpark figure but uh, <laughs> but yeah yeah I really like really like it. Um, good times. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a couple years later, 1987, this is one our dad did have, although he picked it up pretty late too. Again, going going full concept is Gaudi, based on the Catalan architect Antonio Gaudi, who I've I've spoken about before. Absolute an absolute madman, but a very talented madman. <laughs> and his his big crowning achievement, not his only achievement, but his crowning achievement was the La Sagrada Familia, which is. An absolutely massive, massive, massive cathedral. You, I swear to God, it's still um, being worked on, right? And there's, yeah, they're still finishing it now. Yeah. But I mean, now they're actually full tilt into into trying to finish it. I think they've got a timeline for like the hundredth anniversary of his death or something like that. Interestingly enough, even though he was slugging back like seven uh, seven espressos a day or something like that, and his doctor's like, you have to stop drinking so much coffee; it's going to kill you. He he was old, and he was killed after being hit by like a streetcar. Um, <laughs> ironically, yeah, yeah. This album really deals with with themes of his of his life, uh, and I, I have a fondness a fondness for for this album. Um, I guess you know since I don't actually know much about Gaudi apart from some of his architecture stuff. Yeah, I don't know how much of this really is in line with the with concept. I mean, obviously, Asagrada Familia and Paso de Gracia. Yeah, that's a major street in Barcelona. Mm, although okay. uh, Barcelona, although you can tell somebody from Catalan from Barcelona edited the Wikipedia entry because they said, hey, look, you know, that's the Spanish way of saying it. It's actually this in Catalan because Catalan is a, a sub dialect of Spanish. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so, someone from, from Catalonia went in and put that up. Just like, like oh, it's actually Pasig de Gracia. It's a major street in Barcelona too. So, okay, yeah, you know, yeah. the thing is too, is that like some of these themes though can apply to like a lot of other things as well. Right, right. right. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a short album. Uh, I, I, even though, you know, that's strange you because know, it's, I think it's because the, the number of tracks, there's only seven, tra- I don't know, it feels short. Yeah, it, it does though. Um, I think it's because Last Sagrada Familia is so long. It, 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 yeah, that that's sort of like the, uh, the centerpiece of the album is Last Sagrada Familia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Standing on Higher Ground, I have uh, a lot of affection for. I really I really like that song. I think it's a great, great song. 
and too late. Too late's a little dated, but I love it regardless. Uh, something about too late. It's really like there's something about the way the 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 uh, guitar and the bass and the percussion kind of come in. Like it just it um it is probably definitely there's a nostalgic factor. I'm not going to deny that. But yeah. It, it really like wor- like it really stirs something up in me, and it really works. Yeah. It's I think too late is one of the best tracks on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a little it's a little you know there's a little bit of sappiness to it, but sure. it's, but I, but I don't mind. I don't mind. I think closing out on the instrumental was probably uh, the right choice. Oh yeah, I think, I think the beginning and end uh, because they're they're they they mirror each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Paso de Gracia is probably just um, it's like a, an instrumental extension of La Sagrada Familia, uh, very orchestral. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a good choice. It's a, it's a very good choice. So great, great album. Like I, I enjoy the album. Again, going back more to sort of the proggy, proggy sort of stuff. But actually, this one's a little more balanced with with the pop though than mm-hmm. Stereotomy. I'd say so. Yeah, it's got a nice balance of like very like regular sounding rock songs and and uh, and bigger ideas behind them. So uh, yeah, it works for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is officially where the Alan Parsons project is generally regarded. As having finished. Yes. Generally. However, they had gone back to the studio. And they decided they wanted to do Sigmund Freud. Ah, the ultimate concept album. Oh, so many dimensions you can you can tackle there. Plus so many facets, right? There's so much you can explore there. And they started creating this album for Deanna. <sighs> Wolfson, though, and Parsons were not seen eye to eye. Wolfson got the idea in his head. He says, like, you know what? I think this would make a fantastic, you know, stage production, you know, in, in Europe, uh, you know, Germany, Austria. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think, I think we could, we could actually turn this into a stage production. We could go on the road. I've got the connections. This is something I've always wanted to do. The songs are kind of coming together that way. Parsons is like, no. <laughs> He's <laughs> no, like, I don't, I don't do that. I don't, that's, that's not what the, this, that's not what we're about. That's not, and I don't really have any interest in doing that. And the album was completed. But you can see that divide. First off, this album is long. Seventy-five wow. minutes. It's, it's, it's long. It's, if you get it vinyl, I think it's a double album. You know, it would have to. It have yeah. to be. Uh, and although, th- good luck trying to find the vinyl. Every every ver- every copy I've seen of it, the, a, people know what they have. Mm-hmm. People know how much of a collector's item it is. And depending on the country where you buy it, who it's buy is listed differently correct like you got oh, yeah, like yeah. for dad you got did you not get one that actually said alan parsons project on i it? did yeah mine doesn't i what, what does mine say there's a point where i i think i bought this album like three times <laughs> one for you uh-huh. and then i liked it a lot so i got one for me and then i'm like oh you know dad will like this so i got one for him as well did he ever sell, tell you what he thought of it um i don't know actually i can't remember you had to like scour the depths of ebay though yeah yeah mine doesn't have the uh well, you know, finding the CD copies isn't super hard, but it's yeah. definitely pricier than buying, like, you know, uh, most used CDs. Uh, yeah, I, I have the one that doesn't have the, the Alan Parsons Project title or name on it. In terms of the, the tracks, you can see the divide between things that work better on, like, would work better on stage. And, mm-hmm. and, there's, other, yeah, and there's also stuff that is definitely for, uh, like, it just only works in the studio. Sure. Yeah. Uh, sex Therapy? Uh, for sure. That that mm-hmm. sounds like something that's that's right off like 
like right off Broadway. Yeah, uh, it's one, a funny song. No I like one, it. No but. one can love you better than me. I feel is also very much uh, funny. You should say that. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is a great, great song. Actually. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Uh, and then there's some song. Yeah, you the sort of songs, things like uh, Nirvana, Principle, and Upper Me, uh, and Freudiana, are are very are very very Parsons album sorts of uh, sorts of songs. Every time I think back to this album, I think of it as a slog to get through, and I think that there are only certain highlights. But then when I actually listen to the album, I like the vast majority of it. I really, I really do. It's just the the length is so daunting to to sit down, start to finish, and it's just like, is this still going on? What oh, is still going on, right? And then mm-hmm. when you think we get to the Freudiana instrumental, that to me was the logical place to end, but it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> it, it just keeps going. I, I also agree. I think I think that's where you should end it. Uh, I I. I there, but for the grace of God, is a very it's a very dramatic song. Uh, I can see why they, um, why they want to use it as an ending track, but I don't know if it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there is probably stuff that could have ended on the cutting room floor. Probably, let's see. There's some there's some of them that I have mixed feelings about because mm-hmm. I I kind of like the song, but I also kind of feel like it's doing the album a disservice by being there. <laughs> that's that's so, fair. So. Yeah, I'm. I'm very like Dora is one that I kind of feel that way about. It's it's just kind of it's it's a little too slow. It kind of drags things down. But I don't I don't dislike it as a track. I think that it's fine. But if I had to make some cuts, that's one of the ones I might have to cut. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of interesting ideas in this one. I feel like Eric Wolfson was really. Like really let himself like let the creative reins loose mm. and really really put together a lot of good ideas. I am a mirror. I think is terrific. Yeah, yeah. I love. Funny you should say that. I think it's such a great song and it's so immensely clever in how it's constructed because you have all these melodies and counter melodies. Like by the like they introduce each of them uh, as the song goes on, and then at the end they play them all off against each other, and it sounds really really good. It's a it's a fantastic song, and it's a song all about like the the weird the the oddities of the human mind and dreams mm-hmm. and and the whole time there's all these classic cartoon sound effects going on and they <laughs> yeah. don't and they don't feel like they're out of place at all it's it's a really really cool track yeah. and i definitely recommend it you're on your own feels kind of dated it feels like an 80s pop single mm, yeah yeah it does um far away from home is actually way shorter than i thought it was that one just feels long the Ring is also a little bit dated, but I really like it. I like The Ring, yeah. Uh, sex Therapy just makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's S-E-C-T-S, that kind of sex. Sex, sex Therapy. But, also, yeah. but, it, but it deals with sex. Yeah, like, so, <laughs> so you know, it's not like... They're, you know, they're just playing around with it. They're having fun. That, yeah, that legitimately is just kind of a, a goof, goof off track. Well, but um, that's fine. It's great. It's one of the highlights in the album. Mm-hmm. Because it feels like there's a lot of things on this album... That that are not done on a lot of Alan Parsons albums, mm-hmm. and so like I totally appreciated in the scope of the pantheon of Alan Parsons project because I consider this an Alan Parsons project. Oh, absolutely, no. It's I got, mean, you've got you've got basically what makes an Alan Parsons uh, album, anyway. It's only technically not, and mm-hmm. even then, I'm not even sure if it's technically not, and because yeah, all the all the every all the personnel is the same, all the creative minds are the same. I think the the difference is the imbalance of of creative decisions. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the main difference. And Wolfson did actually make a stage production of it. It ran for two years in Austria, 
played to hundreds of thousands of people uh, and did did fairly did fairly well. But I mean, you know, it's Austria. It's Freud's you know it's Freud's stomping grounds, right? Yeah. I mean, have you seen the? I, th- I think it's called the Black Version. The uh, stage production release. Have you ever come across it? No, I haven't. Yeah. Um, I di- I didn't know it was a thing actually until I was doing research for the album, and I'm curious to hear it. But not, but I'm not dying to hear it, <laughs> you know. But yeah, that one's that one's the soundtrack to the play, right? Yeah, it's it's shorter. It's in Austrian. It's a different produ- producer, technically. So I'm I'm curious. I'm curious about it. But mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, like, where the hell you're going to find it? But also, I'd say that one is not an Alan Parsons project. No, it is album. not. So it is not. But the, this this is. So it was more important that we listen to actual Freudiana, the yeah. the for the studio album proper. So I recommend it, folks. But it's a it is a long listen. It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they the CD format was in full swing, and they took full advantage of that. And but it is, ironically, I guess, almost a complete return to form for them. Going back to Tales of Mystery, you know. Yeah, as far as like yeah. con- conceptually, this uh-huh. is this is again like one of the cases where they were, they were on point with their thematic choices. Mm-hmm. And this is a great exploration of of uh, Freud and his ideas and. And uh, psychology, in general, I think so. I uh, I give it a I give it a thumbs up, everybody. Yeah. Okay, so this is the point now where Alan Parsons and Eric Wolfson have split up. They have yeah. gone their separate yes. ways. Yes. Yes. Now a lot of people say that this uh, like a lot of the things I read is like, oh, this is when Alan Parsons went solo, which mm. I feel is not an accurate description it, it isn't all. actually he goes by they, they no longer go by the alan parsons project mm-hmm. i think he did that really out of respect for wolfson yeah because i mean because i mean in reality it is kind of still alan parsons project mm-hmm. but yeah but i think because the creative forces shifted that they just started to go by alan parsons um but it really isn't a, a solo effort because no. even just looking at try anything once it looks like there's just a whole smorgasbord of writers. Like, just every, everyone kind of chips in. Uh, Ian Berenson. Actually, that's what I was going to mention. It yeah. seemed like a lot of the creative force shifted from Eric Wolfson to Ian Berenson. Not so much in this one. Uh, but no, definitely, no, but... Um, but, I mean, he writes some songs, but... Yeah, it, it picks up a bit, but... I mean, Ian Berenson had been with him from the very beginning. Or, no, was not on Tales of Mystery. Uh, just uh, from iRobot. From iRobot, I but I, his he has such such a stronger presence on mm-hmm. the Alan Parsons albums. And Can I just say uh, I, I haven't mentioned this yet, but yeah. Ian Berenson is a highly underrated guitarist. I would say, um, like you know, you don't see him in, in like lists of great guitarists, but uh, I I think his so many of his solos are so good, mm-hmm. and, and uh, like they're just very precise. He's a very precise guitarist. Mm-hmm. Like I keep thinking of the solo on I "Wouldn't Want to Be Like You." Or actually, I think my favorite is uh, the one on uh, "Let's Talk About Me." Mm, I think that's, no, a, that's a phenomenal solo. It's nice that he's starting to get a little more recognition for what he contributes to uh, to Alan Parsons at this point in time. And we also see Andrew Powell is still oh yeah he's full, he's still he's fully still. on board. Um, and, and actually, his his involvement like there was a couple albums where his involvement just wasn't wasn't as pronounced. Um, but I mean, now he's he's again full kilt, full tilt, I should say, onto here. Um, although you know, there's there's still a couple, there's a few uh, people um, like Lenny Zakatic who you just don't really see anymore. 
uh, going forward. But I mean, honestly, though, the the nature of the project is that it's always been evolving and changing. And so, yeah, although it's Alan Parsons, quote unquote, uh, solo stuff, it's really not. No, yeah, it's a, it's more of a it's it's always been sort of a cornucopia of uh, of artists. And you know, it's it's interesting because like as a kid growing up, it, there always seemed to be such a clear divide between the time between Gaudi because we didn't know about Freudiana, Gaudi and trying anything once. It seems like mm. a huge time gap. Well, it is pretty big. It's like six years. Yeah, but, but I mean, well, when I guess... you factor in Freudiana, it's suddenly not very no, long. No, then, then yeah. yeah, it's kind of right in the middle of Freudiana. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's true. Once once Freudiana is in the mix, the divide is not as clear. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'd say. Try Anything Once feels more like an Alan Parsons Project album than Freudiana does. Yes, absolutely, 100%. And for the reasons that we discussed earlier. So this one was released in October 1993. There, The theme in this one, uh, and again, themes kind of come and go, but there is a theme kind of of like, um, of like uh, absurdism and you know postmodernism but very loose yeah this one the I, if you didn't tell me that there is a theme i wouldn't even pick up on no it. no it's it's yeah. easily overlooked it's easily overlooked but then once once you start thinking about about uh things like dreamscape and mr time and uh you know wine from water and the three of me even uh which is actually to be honest the three of me is such a, a spastic track eh? there's a lot going on in it oh yes at yes. times it's like a halloween track at times it's like a an ep- and a sort of an epic a soundtrack going on, and other times it's like a pop song. It's sang by David Pack mm-hmm. of Ambrosia, and I, I think we forgot to mention Ambrosia earlier. We did actually, yeah. Um, where that was the most of the band that Parsons got for Tales of Mystery of Imagination was from the band Ambrosia, um, who he had produced for, stuff for. So this is sort of like he's bringing some uh, some old friends in this one. Mm-hmm. Although I think David Pack's kind of appeared here and there. Through the uh, the Parsons ears, we have a couple instrumentals. Thank God, Breakaway, Jig and Rejig, Jig and Rejig, yeah, yeah, uh, Dreamscape as well. Right, right. So uh, actually, yeah, quite a few instrumentals, uh, much more than uh, previous ones. I've always had a fondness for the album, but I, I keep forgetting of how, uh, how how really good it is. To be honest, I actually really dig this album. In particular, the end track "Oh Life, There Must Be More" is such a a fantastic gripping finale and such a fe- such a fantastic sentiment. You know, of people who, who are just stuck in a mundane life and, you know, they're, they're, they're crying out in despair. It's almost biblical, you know, uh, you know, there, there, there must, there must be more to, you know, to this sort of thing. I, it's, it's a gripping, it's a fantastic closing track. I love it. I once, uh, I posted something that I thought was kind of clever at one point. Uh, I think it was just a little tweet I put out and which was, I found simultaneously hilarious and depressing, but I once said there must be more to life than just avoiding death. Hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's sort of like, it's kind of funny cause it's, it's obvious, but it's also like, I don't know if you think about it too much. It's like, oh. <laughs> 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 so anyways, I, I also very much connect with the uh, with the sentiment of the track. Yeah, I mean, I mean, because <sighs> they switch, right? There must be more is kind of when they say they must be more, there must be more. It's kind of a pleading. And then on the op, not on the opposite end, but those are complementary sentiments where instead they say, Oh, life, I'm barely holding on. And then that's sort of like, as opposed to seeking, that's a very self-reflective sentiment and it's constantly switching between the two. I, I, I adore that closing track. I think it's one of the best closing tracks that they've, they've had. But that being said, though, the whole album, actually, to be honest, I really like. And tracks like Wine From Water, honestly, are, are like vintage Parsons sorts of tracks, you know? Totally, totally vintage. Yeah, I really love Turn It Up. 
mm-hmm. turned up, I think, is, is uh, just, well, like, what a great, it, it just feels big. Even though it doesn't, like, it's not obviously big, but just something, it just has a nice swell. And, uh, oh, yeah, because know. it starts small, and then every time he sings the chorus, turn it up, it, it, it builds. It actually, like, musically, it matches the lyrics entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a great, great track. Mr. Time is, you know, it's shocking it's eight minutes long, because... I would it, never have thought of it. Do, yeah. It doesn't feel like it. Um, I mean, it's not my favorite track, but it's good, mm-hmm. and and it is impressive that it doesn't like it. It doesn't feel as as big as it is. This is actually a pretty long album, but this is as opposed to Forty It's not as long as Forty of course. <laughs> Whoa, what <Okay>. is? <laughs> but um, but uh, it uses its time well. It yeah. doesn't feel like it drags, which is pretty pretty impressive. Because yeah, it's it's about an hour, a little just a little little under. Yeah. Uh, but oh. taking taking into account the time it takes to to get your CD out of the jewel case and plug it in, <laughs> yeah. and then put it back. Take go. into account that's time. It's a nice round hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true, true enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think there's any weak songs on here. I, it, it actually is pretty adventurous and bold in how many musical styles it it uh, it takes, uh, how many different directions. Breakaway is a little a little cheesy. Oh, for sure. Um, a little dated, but also awesome. <laughs> so I, you know what? Like I don't, I don't care. I don't care how cheesy and dated it is. I like it anyway. But I could, I could totally see someone like listening to like this album for the first time now and going like, "What's with the '80s cop theme?" <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, <laughs> it's like I, I just imagine like cops running around to this. Uh, with big big mustaches and aviators and okay now but when you say when you say that all I can think of is sabotage by Beastie Boys now but ever since I saw Ooh. the music video to that song now going forward I even though it doesn't sound like it's from the 80s when I think of cops chasing people around with big old furry mustaches and aviators it's always sabotage what we should do is we should try and re-edit the music video <laughs> sabotage to to break away and see what it looks like I, uh, that's actually pretty easy to do in Final Cut. <laughs> that's actually astoundingly true. easy to do it in really Final Cut. It really is. You know what? I'm I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna upload it, <laughs> and I'm gonna put the uh, I'm gonna put the link up on our Facebook page. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I I do, the thing is, though, is, okay. I'll do it if I'll upload it if it actually works. If it's just if it's just a mess, I won't bother. Yeah. If it doesn't actually look, it any doesn't good. actually match up. But uh, yeah. but you know what? Though I want to try. I want to try. And God bless you. God bless you for that. <laughs> Uh, okay, our dad had this one. Like, I think he got it like not long after its release, if not right on the heels. Of I it. do remember him having it quite like for a long time. Yeah. I, I can't think of, I can't think of when he got it, but yeah. Also, another thing that kind of ages this album isn't anything to do with the music. There's a magic eye sort of thing on the CD. There's oh yeah, magic eye. totally. <laughs> Back when magic yeah, yeah. eyes were the rage, I even feel like it was like right at the beginning of that too. It, right? Yeah. Again, it's sort of the prophetic nature of Alan Parsons. Like these magic eyes are going to be big. <laughs> Trust me, guys. <laughs> it's a schooner. <laughs> it's not a schooner. It's a sailboat. A schooner is a sailboat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, I you know I feel like this is sort of one of those uh, essential Parsons albums. Mm. Um, so like, if you're wondering a good place to start to kind of feel it out, I feel like this is a, this is a, this is not the ideal starting point. I because I'm, I'm just the kind of guy who's like start at the beginning, work your way, see how it goes. Mm-hmm. But I know not everyone has the kind of patience that I do. <laughs> um, so, um, but so I mean, if you if you want like some essentials, this is a good place. 
Okay, so uh, three years later, actually, I think our dad got this one pretty, uh, pretty hot on the heels of its release. 1996's On Air. Truthfully, I had listened to it a couple times years ago. I mean, yeah. I feel like 20 years ago at this point, and I never got into it. And even our dad agreed that it's a, you know, it's it's kind of a slow, a slow album. It's kind of you know, it's kind of a melancholic. Might even say it's not morose because it's not sad, but it's it's contemplative. Um, um, yeah, yeah. But what I mean, what I'll say though is it, it it's at least thematic. It is yes, one hundred percent. We're we're totally in the theme here. It's 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 uh, the history and feelings of aviation and stuff like that, uh, going from hot air balloons up through or no, even before hot air balloons. Talking about uh, Icarus, Icarus flying too close to the sun, all the way up to the Apollo space program and, and everything in between. So I mean, like as far as themes go. I mean, we're right back. We're right back on. But, you know, to be fair, I listened to it again, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not nearly as melancholic and and uh, down-tempo as I remember it. It's it's not. It's it's actually not. It's Now, that being said, it, it isn't as up-tempo as a lot of the person's stuff, but it isn't, like, a slow-plotting album. that The slow-plotting album that I, I remembered. Mm-hmm. Huge thing to note: Ian Berenson, he basically wrote almost this entire this entire album. Yeah, he's he's definitely uh, taking the shoes of the like creative head of the band, or, or or at least creative main creative collaborator, I guess yeah. is a better way to put it. Um, him and uh, yeah, him and Alan Parsons, and there's a, you know, Stuart Elliott does a little bit of writing in here too. Sure. But yeah, it's but it's mostly Ian Berenson. Yeah. Um, and, you know, while I was listening to it, I was trying to... Th- it reminded me of something. I was trying to think of what it reminded me of. And then I realized it reminds me of the final... Or, uh, it's not anymore. Uh, the penultimate Pink Floyd album, The Division Bell. It reminds me of that with some of the... With no Dave Gilmore um, and some of the quirkier experimental stuff taken out. So without Dave Gilmore and the experimental stuff... For Division Bell, that's very much of what this album reminds me of. I, I took the, actually a very similar note. I said, at its best, it's reminiscent of Division Bell. Okay, so, so there we go. It's not just you. And what year was Division Bell? 95? 94. Okay, so, so it was right around that time. Yeah, I will say the highlights for me were the instrumentals Cloud Break and Apollo. I dug them. I dug them quite a bit. And there are a couple, uh, Too Close to the Sun's a, a good song. It actually, it actually might be one of the best songs on the album. Uh, and Blue Blue Sky, um, although, you know, I was like, um, there's some elements to it that I wasn't a big fan of. But I liked this the second, because it opens the album on uh, a, you know, a truncated Blue Blue Sky and then closes out on the full Blue Blue Sky. I like where it goes, where the song goes. By the end, I'm on board with it. Again, on, on the whole, I'm still not going to rave about this album. But I'll say it's way better than I remember. The instrumentals are totally on point, and there's a lot of really nice, really nice moments in it. Yeah, I said um, <clears throat> on air is not amazing, but it's easy to forget that it's, that it's often good. Hmm. The compromise of, ha- of having an album that's so thematic musically is that uh, I find that I-, I remember the overall experience rather than specific moments. Uh, and that's for better or for worse. Uh, but, but yeah, I actually agree with some of the favorite tracks. Too Close to the Sun is very solid, and uh, the instrumentals are are very they're, they're they're the best, probably the highlights of the album for me. 
And songs like So Far Away kind of feel a little over-sentimental. Well, that explains... I mean, the vocalist is Christopher Cross, uh, who is like one of those 70s schmaltzy... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. so I mean that's that's unsurprising <laughs> but yeah something about I, I don't know something about a lot of the tracks though they don't leave a lasting impression no it's like you get you get a feel after the album's done of of what the album was like but mo- a lot of the tracks are kind of forgettable and and that's it's kind of a shame because like you know it's it's not like it's a bad experience to listen to it no. it's just yeah, I'd, I'd say it's worth it for the highlights, but but yeah, it doesn't. It, you know, it's hard to like for me to look at some of these tracks and go like, yeah, I really like that one. Mm-hmm. You know, except I, d- I, d- I do remember "Too Close to the Sun," uh, definitely one of the uh, one of the strongest highlights. I guess also, you know, the the bar for Parsons is is really high. It's true. It's true. You know, it, it's considering try anything once was so much of a smorgasbord like musically like you you got a little bit of everything to have this one sort of like so thematic and so consistent in tone it's kind of it's kind of jarring (laughs) you know it it doesn't you know it's not a jarring sounding album but it's um but it's definitely definitely a change of pace and now for the one that's uh i think really kind of passed us by uh, yeah, Dad never had this one, the Time Machine. Yeah, from 1999. Now, did you get it from later? I seem to recall there's a copy floating around that one of a, that somebody owns. It's not me. Mm, I don't have it. I don't recall getting it for Dad. Maybe I did. Maybe I did. <laughs> Maybe I got it for Dad. I don't oh, know. I don't know. I'm gonna um, to, tell me. Now, first, first things first. The cover, the cover art has both a police box and a DeLorean. So, one bonus point. There you go. Award one bonus point. There's also the Enterprise D. Oh yeah, that's r- right, 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 right. 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 Little, a model, a model of it. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No. Fair. Fair. This one, okay. This one, I feel honestly, is a mixed, mixed, mixed bag because mm-hmm. it there's a lot of really kind of like cheesy elements to it. A lot of it feels kind of dated. Also, having that bonus track, the Doctor Evil edits <laughs> thing. I mean, I I get it. I get it. it. Is it's pretty cool to get like name dropped in a major movie and then you know make a little you know, dance track around it or whatever, but it does date it. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of elements here that, that honestly do feel dated, but by the same token, I feel like there's a lot of elements in here that actually work really, really well. Uh, Out of the Blue, I think it's a great song, like a great track. Robert Universe is as well. There's also um, tracks on here that have like that, you know, during the, the, the 90s, actually I was going to say early 90s, but this is late 90s, uh, there was like a fascination with in, including like, you know, mystical sort of pan flutey sounds you know to have sort of like an ethnic feel in new age music sort of stuff okay yeah there's a bit of that in this too and it just sounds silly these days so i mean i i find this one to be a a a very oh it would be called the wild in part uh this one to be a very mixed bag but you know i'd say an improvement over the last one um not as good as trying anything once but but an improvement and it's kind of interesting an interesting sort of direction and, and noodling around. Yeah. And not a whole lot written by Parsons. A lot of a lot of Ian Berenson again. Yeah. And uh, some Stuart Elliott. But Parsons does the uh, instrumental tem- Temporali... Temporalia? Temporalia, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd say, yeah, it has more energy than on air. Mm-hmm. It starts off strong. I think Out of the Blue, again, is a yeah, great emotional track. 
it drags in the middle, I would say, mm. right in the middle. But it's no like individual track's fault. It's just there's an issue with the pacing of the album. But I'll say the finale is great. Uh, the instrumentals, there's a lot of instrumentals near the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, again, there are the highlights. I find that like the this this version of Alan Parsons really thrives doing instrumentals. Yes. And that's you know, that's kind of where they, I feel like they, their creative spirit is, is not on a leash of any, is, is they just can, can really explore, like explore a track. Uh, and it, it even includes that bonus track beginnings. Uh, I think that that, uh, that fits right in there. Yes. Um, so like it, it, beginnings could have been in, like in the album proper and, uh, don't know why it wasn't, don't know, but if it fits right in there and it's also very good. And, uh, yeah, I, I like that last stretch. I think that that's. I gotta, I gotta, you know, salute it for that. Um, but yeah, it, the, somewhere in the middle, um, I have to listen to the Rubber Universe again if you say it's really good. Um, but instrumental. <laughs> but yeah, there's stuff, there's stuff in the middle that could be trimmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, well, actually, you know, it's, 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 see, it's another case where it's shorter than Try Anything Once, but it doesn't use its time as wisely. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, you know, like how the days of CDs, when CDs were like, they, people felt like they really had to like have a lot of tracks (laughs) to like, to like justify it, you know, but you know, the album could have been, it actually could have been shorter. Yeah. You know, a little trim, a little fat. Okay. So then we jump forward to 2004. What? And now this is one that I pretty much picked up as soon as it came out. Uh, A Valid Path. We've now lost Ian Berenson. We've lost a lot of the people. Yeah. Uh, like now, this one is actually the one that feels to me like a, an Alan Parsons solo record. Yeah. Like this feels like he's. I mean, I don't know, like what what it is that happened between him and the other people. It, it could have just been that he just didn't, you know, didn't like, didn't want to continue the direction that ba- that particular band was going and wanted to, or just wanted to like do his own thing. Mm. But uh, yeah, it definitely feels like Alan Parsons himself was the creative head for much of this album. He also sings on some of the tracks. Yeah, for the first time since, I think, um, he sang on The Raven. Yeah, I think so. Back in 76 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, finally he's he's back. He's singing, even. Yeah. Uh, Berenson seems to have been primarily replaced by Alan Parsons' son, Jeremy. Uh, although oh, we also do Alistair get, Green. Yeah, you'll notice though the part that Jeremy Parsons shows up quite a bit in here. Uh, but we do also get David Gilmore, coincidentally, to show up on the opening track. Which I mean, you know, if, I, if, I don't if, think you know, that's a, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's by design. Well, no, but I mean coincidentally because we were comparing uh, we were comparing on air to Division Bell, hmm, uh, yes, and yes. so. Uh, but you know the fact that there was no you know it felt like Division Bell minus the Dave Gilmore. This is. Well, let's bring in the Dave Gilmore, you know, sort of thing. Because, uh, I mean, you can feel it. You can tell. You can tell that that uh, the guitars are done by uh, by Gilmore on that first track. It's, I mean, he just makes it, it, that guitar sing. He's definitely got a style. And, and yeah, he does, he does a great service to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, return to Tunguska? Tunguska. I don't think there's really a theme to this one. Not really. You know, if I had to pick one, mm-hmm. it's very loose. But it does feel a little bit like, especially in retrospect now, knowing that this is this has been his last album. Yeah, this almost does kind of feel like a, a sort of reflection on the past. Oh, so like the valid path is 
where he started from to where he, you know, where he wound up, you think? Possibly. Like Mama Gamma revisiting Eye in the Sky, mm-hmm. 04. A recurring dream within a dream revisiting uh, Tales of Mystery and Imagination. Bringing in David Gilmore, who like one of, one of his huge launching points was Dark Side of the Moon. Um, it just, it feels, it feels a little bit like a reflection of the past, mm-hmm. but kind of brought into a modern age by like really using the electronic soundscapes of more modern day music. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, that, that's, I mean, I mean he, that's kind of a, me just reading into it. But. They, they brought Crystal Method in, which is crazy. Yeah. I wouldn't have seen that coming. I actually, I actually adore this album. I've always really liked this album in particular. They're signed about Tijuanaic. And Lark on Ciel, uh, which is French for Rainbow. Like, those two instrumental tracks together are so good. Uh, and they're they are really the highlight of the album for me and are am- amazingly well produced. Lark on Ciel opens, and if you're wearing headphones, you got to listen to it. It opens on a rainstorm. And and then the, the percussion is built out of the raindrops falling and hitting different surfaces and stuff like that. And it just... It, but it, it comes out of it so naturally and it sounds it sounds really good and then when you get to the uh, the musical chorus of it you have uh the melody coming in one side and then you have a sort of a the counter melody isn't as much counter melody as is a sort of like sound effect a sort of a, a sort of thing mm-hmm. uh, I, I i i mean it just sounds great and, and so the highlight of the album there but i mean honestly there's no there's no weak track on this on this album I have this uh, this this sort of thing that I've, I've I've made up where the harder the track is to say out loud when it, the, the better it is on this album. As as like oh yeah I really like chromolungma 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 and Tijuanic and return to Tuggins. Now although this this kind of contradicts my my thoughts on it being a like a reflection of the past kind of album i actually think this album is weakest when it's trying to retread familiar territory hmm. like when when it is doing a recurring dream within a dream or mama gamma 04 the thing that bugs me about mama gamma 04 is the uh, 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 sound that's fair yeah i feel like that's when it's that's when the album kind of drags a little bit um because you know they're just they're songs that just they don't feel necessary I don't hate them. I think they're fine. Mm-hmm. Like I'll listen to them. I, I don't skip them. But but this album works so much better when it's new and um and creative and atmospheric. Like the 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 first track is incredible. Tijuanaic, I agree as well. And Le Arcancil, um, which I might be saying wrong. Those two tra- tracks, like they're so good and it ends well. Um, and then it has you know a few a few poppy songs kind of thrown in like more. Yeah. More uh, lost without you, which I think is is a uh, actually is kind of an underrated one. Uh, <laughs> I think it's easy to kind of overlook, but it actually I actually really really enjoy it. Like yeah, all all that stuff I think is where the album really thrives and really holds up. Um, we're yeah the Mama Gamma Four mostly I feel is the most already the most dated and the most unnecessary track on there. Isn't it interesting though? Is that a revisit of an early eighties song? It actually feels more dated than the original, you know what I mean? Because it's got some of those really cheap electronica, you know, moments in there, mm-hmm. right? Whereas, like, the original one is it, kind of kitschy, but, you know, by the same token, though, it just feels more natural, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I won't I won't skip anything on here. I think it's all pretty good. But, yeah, but it's... It, 
I guess it just is like at moments it's a masterpiece <laughs> and it just and then it, it just kind of loses footing every now and then. I guess uh, <laughs> almost like on his uh, on the cover art there. Yeah. But still, yeah, I, I think that this is a great a great note to end on for his for his studio albums. Of course, this isn't the complete end. No. But I think it, it is a good if, if, if it's if it was intended to be a farewell album. Uh, I think it it uh, it does a pretty good job, especially because at the very end, the, the album closes out with uh, John Cleese lecturing the the makers of the album for you know getting a little too heady and you know getting a little too preoccupied with with ramblings and and sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. It, just it just goes like, on and on and on. <laughs> yeah, right. And you know, kind of walks off. And, and then, I remember seeing on the the sticker on the album saying featuring and then it goes through all these like all the like the crystal method mm-hmm. and then and then it says john cleese i'm like what <laughs> it features john cleese <laughs> i think features a bit of a um an overstatement i used to play cds at work and uh and sometimes it, and it would go through the this is years ago it would go through the was that uh, richmond center yeah richmond center would go through the intercom mm-hmm. in the individual auditoriums because that function couldn't be turned off so i'd have to be play like like things that'd be okay and this album would be turned so totally okay but it does end like end end with a dog barking mm-hmm. which goes on kind of a lot and it's just kind of a weird thing but whatever but not as jarring as zeropa i played that once at work and never again because it closes out on that, oh, that alarm yeah, thing yeah. and i was just like and when i heard that going i was just like whoops <laughs> yeah like oh people are gonna think there's a fire <laughs> right basically yeah yeah yeah, yeah so or, or like oh god the commies <laughs> they're bombing us <laughs> between this and when we saw the alan parsons live project was mm-hmm. there any activity at all there was he released that single all our yesterdays in 2010 there was a, a double single he made, he he uh, put out, uh, which was uh, had the song "All I Yesterdays" and "Alpha Centauri." Mm-hmm. Uh, have you have you heard this? No, I don't think so. Really? Oh, I'm very actually surprised. Uh, you can buy it off iTunes. It's um, "All I Yesterdays" feels very safe. It, it feels more like Alan Parsons' project than anything that's come out since the Alan Parsons project. Mm. "Alpha Centauri" is actually the highlight of the single. Uh, it's an instrumental. It sounds like a follow-up to Cyrus from mm-hmm. Eye in the Sky. Interesting. Um, it sounds like hey, it, hey, it might it might just be they're both stars. Yeah, no, it, it it feels yeah they feel like they feel like companion tracks basically. Okay, that's um cool. so uh, Alpha Centauri is definitely worth checking out. So no, then I guess I guess and w- w- then we saw them live and because mm. there's only been two singles since then. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, as mentioned, Silver Reef Casino in Ferndale. Were any of the people he was performing with past project members? No, none of, none of the people from the old Alan Parsons project. The only two people, like from what I could tell, there's Alistair Green, who played on A Valid Path. And Olsen too, right? And PJ Olsen, yeah. uh, who, who sang, uh, he sang more, more Lost Without You on Val- Valid Path. So he's kept a few of those guys around, but it seemed like this, this was um, a, just a whole new band. And I don't know why. I, I mean, it, it doesn't, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't really... Can't really tell you, but I mean, you know, there a lot of these guys are getting up there in age too. Maybe just touring is just not something they want to do. Anymore. Touring, it's got to be exhausting. Yeah. It's got to be. But yeah, but at the same time, like they did such a good job of capturing the feel of of those classic tracks. Oh yeah, like they were they're perfect replicas. Like you know, like when we saw King Crimson, for example, that was very much kind of like a tribute concert of some of the older things. But the songs felt like they had a new energy because they were there was like a different band lineup. 
like there was something invigorating and new about this about the music that was on stage, even though they were treading old old ground. Where this, the and and, and I'm not sure like if one is diff- like better than the other, but it's a different approach. But the Alan Parsons Project Live was to me, it felt almost like more of them trying to replicate the music perfectly. Mm. Like it was, it was like this is what we know how familiar you are with these songs and how much you love them. And we're going to give you exactly that. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I do. I, yeah, I don't want to say that one way of doing it is better than the other, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a very different approach to, to, you know, bring these, these songs to that, to an audience. We were definitely like some of the youngest bucks there for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. We we had, uh, not, not a gray hair on our head, <laughs> <laughs> but, and that was very, a very uncommon thing. Yeah. It was, you know, it is kind of fun kind of looking around and and seeing people who have probably been fans for like 30 to 40 years. It's true. And there's you look at them and they're just they're so caught up in it and you know I'm sure for a good number of them, a good many of them, this would be also their first time seeing Parsons live. Yeah, quite possibly. Um so I mean like can you imagine like loving a band for decades and then finally finally eventually you know being able to go and actually see them i mean like you you could definitely tell like there were there was a lot of people there you know were just like they just they were so thrilled to be there and, and having such a great time mm-hmm. yeah and that was that was super cool and the fact then that they came out to do autographs and meet and greets and stuff like that too i mean oh yeah astounding that was great i even remember um because uh, i we haven't mentioned that in 2009 mm-hmm. eric wilson passed away yeah uh, I, I even remember hearing one fan uh, just he he, I guess he was kind of pouring out a little bit about it to, to Alan Parsons, going like he's like oh it's just such a loss, just it was such a loss that he that he passed away and mm-hmm. um and uh, Alan Parsons very hard to read mm-hmm. at that point I, I I couldn't I couldn't yeah I don't know I just I just couldn't uh, I couldn't tell what what was uh, what his what, like what, like what he was thinking or it, it was just yeah it was just it was just kind of nodding and agreeing and i don't know it was it was i don't know little 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 emotional moments like that kind of fascinate me Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean you wonder because they had such a strong working relationship for such a long time Mm -hmm. um, but you know they ultimately wanted different things out of music but so you have a shared passion but then you explore that passion as far as you can collaboratively Mm -hmm. so i mean he, he probably had tremendously mixed feelings i mean he was probably i mean almost certainly disappointed that wilson didn't want to continue on with his vision, but it, it was his vision. You know, it wasn't, wasn't Wolfson's vision. No, so yeah, they, they, that's a conflicting uh, thing. They brought the dream uh, as far as they could and they released a lot of material. Yeah. And, and in a, in a, if you think about it, like a lot of albums in a probably like 15 years max, right? Yeah. You know, like that's, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. It's, and you know the I, I mean I can't speak for their creative process, but I do imagine like there's got to be times where you're button heads. Oh yeah, and, for uh, sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, it was probably a very emotional time, and it almost certainly wasn't any single emotion or even any three emotions. It was probably a lot of emotions and a lot of a lot of stuff. So, but yeah, no, I mean I'll definitely agree with the sentiment that it was a tremendous it was a tremendous loss. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think Wolfson and Parsons both are the type of people where they will always have work left unfinished because they will always have work because they will always, they're always invested. There's never a point where 
either of them would be like, I'm just going to sit back and retire and I'm done. I mean, it seems right now Parsons is in a point in his career where he's enjoying the freedom to, or the, almost enjoying, like, just being able to reflect on the legacy Mm -hmm. of the Alan Parsons project. Uh, Like, there's not a lot of, like, these two singles, uh, Do You Live at All and Fragile, uh, have you listened to them? Uh, they played Fragile at the concert, didn't they? They did. They did. I don't even remember <laughs> the, what it sounded like, to be honest. Um, I don't remember being swept away by it. Like, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're not amazing. They're, they're okay. It doesn't seem like he's pursuing anything, like, really new and exciting these days. But, I mean, he's almost 70, right? Yeah. So, right now is sort of, like, a time to, for him, it uh, seems to me, anyway, uh, time for him to kind of, like, just, just enjoy the past for, for like uh, for what it, it it was at the time and what is meant to people and what it still means to people who are lifelong fans. He's still very very involved in the music industry. Um, I had read an interview with him where he he's not a fan of MP3. Uh, he really really believes that it's a detriment to fidelity. And I mean he's super knowledgeable on these digital file formats. And oh, his, yeah. the big one that he he was a proponent of was FLAC. Oh yeah, that's definitely one of those. Uh, Whenever, you like Flack is one of those ones that you see when you're downloading music um, through different websites, where it's sort of like for the audio file, mm. and and, uh, and sometimes like it costs more than downloading an MP3. And the thing is, I can never justify it because I feel like whatever sound setups I have right now do not would not even do a flack the service <laughs> apparently that it needs uh, but when yeah. i listen to like i i don't like i i hate listening to things on phone speakers and like laptop speakers i like headphones and i like good speakers and i still like uh, but still mp3 is fine by me <laughs> so yeah I'm, you know it's like i just i just don't I, I, I just don't have the trained ears that he does. Well, that, that's it exactly. So, like, I'm not, I'm not gonna poo-poo him and, and say <laughs> that he's pretentious at it. But by the same token, he's not the average listener. No, he no, is he's not. not. He's not the average listener. So when he talks about these file formats with authority, it's because he is an authority on the on the subject. Oh yeah. But he's not. He's not an average listener. He knows what to listen for. Obviously, he knows what what sounds good. Obviously. Yeah, so I mean, like, I mean, his his opinion actually weighs quite a bit. But like you, I don't rush it often by flack stuff because, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, like, hey, Bandcamp offers flack downloads. It does. It does. I, I choose MP3 anyway, but you know. Uh, oh yeah, a couple of things. So I'd be curious to see if he's uh, if he ever puts out anything else. If he doesn't, I'm not gonna be really mad because again, like we said, he's uh, he's getting up there in age for sure. But uh, but I I would always always be willing. And uh, willing and able to listen to anything that, that he wants to put out, for sure. Mm-hmm. Casual, casual listener, if you go into a music store and you look under Alan Parsons' project, there is a very good likelihood that you'll <clears> run <throat> into a compilation album before anything else. And there right, have been yeah. quite <laughs> a few. We looked at it, it was more compilations than studio albums, I think it was. Yes. There's a, a fairly uh, ubiqui- ubiquitous one that I've seen quite a bit. Uh, it's the one on so, the hill with the... Yeah, I think that was the first one. So there's 10 studio albums. There's 23 compilation albums. Mm-hmm. Like, that's uh, insane. But yeah, you're, I think it's Best of Alan Parsons Project. Yeah, I, I've yeah. seen that one. Uh, that one probably the most, but it's not the only one. Came out in 1983. Actually, it was the first one... You don't believe off of Ammonia Avenue actually debuted on this because this came out before Ammonia Avenue. Yeah, eighty three. Yeah, yeah. That started off as like the exclusive track, and then I guess they thought, well, we want it on this album. So yeah. I haven't seen Volume Two in stores. 
Yeah, no, I, I haven't really seen this one either. Um, but it's a lot more from. Oh, yeah, it's just the later years. Uh, Stereotomy, yeah. Vulture Culture, Gaudi. So yeah. Oh no, they have a few other ones from Turner Friendly Card Part Two. Yeah. But I will, I will say legitimately, don't bother. Don't bother with the uh, compilations. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be ones that are if if like you just don't want all the albums. There's got to be ones that are worth getting. I guess maybe Best of Part One and Part Two, uh, or, or the Definitive Collection looks like another. Um, let's see. Oh, is that the the, the complete? Uh, oh, this one here. It is. It looks like it's. Um, Although, hey, look, it has a rejig on it and stuff. So this one also includes Alan Parsons stuff. True. So this, yeah, the definitive collection um, from 1997 looks pretty good. But honestly, like, these are tracks that are better in album form. That's just it, right? You know, like, like it, it's like, I feel like compilation albums don't won't do the material a service. And also, like some of the, some of the best tracks aren't the hits, you know. Yeah. So I mean, but you know, we're, this is lifelong fans talking, right? And it, it it also depends on like what what kind of music you like from Parsons mm-hmm. too, right? So um, one of the more interesting ones is the instrumental works, mm-hmm. and I feel like this is kind of a cool a cool idea for an album, and it's 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 not all, but it's a lot of mm-hmm. the um, of just the instrumentals from the various albums. I like um, the idea of it, but looking at the track order, Paseo de Gracia is a fantastic closing track, mm-hmm. and it's like four tracks away. And then Goldbug leading into Genesis chapter one verse thirty-two. That to me is a strange choice. You know, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe this isn't a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, it theoretically could work. Also, um, Voyager is just an intro track. Like, that's not the one from Pyramid that you want. The one you want is uh, Hypergamma Spaces. Yeah. Okay, I take it back. You know what? The, the, <laughs> the, the instrumental works is a good idea, but I don't think I like this at all. Uh, uh, like, reflecting on it. Oh, first of all, opening up with Pipeline. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> um, and then I, I Robot three tracks in? I don't know. But I don't know. I don't know about this. <laughs> Um, iRobot is... iRobot... No, look, because iRobot and Voyager are both solid opening tracks. And yeah, they're designed yeah. to be opening tracks. And then uh, Genesis... No, hold on. Genesis chapter 1, verse 32. Like, that leads directly into uh, the last track of iRobot. No, that is the last track oh, of iRobot. Oh, sorry. I was thinking yeah, Total Eclipse. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. No, that, oh, well, then it's got a cold... Then it's got a cold opening, because Total Eclipse leads right into... Oh, right yeah, into yeah, it. totally. Yeah. Like, that's... that's That, that uh, transition between Total Eclipse and Genesis is incredible. <laughs> it's just incredible. Okay, so... <laughs> see, clearly... See, clearly, we, we both agree that this is... This this little compilation does not work. Well, I mean, this... this It just speaks to the inherent problem of doing a compilation for Alan Parsons' project, because the albums usually, on the whole, are meant to be singular works mm-hmm. that, that are taken yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. Usually... Well, well, should we do track recommendations? <laughs> oh yeah, I guess we, we, <laughs> we do. after that little spirited, uh, spirit, spirited debate. Um, oh, they put out an essential one. Oh, this one's a uh, jeez. You might as well buy all the albums. Look at all. Well, those. that's just it. Okay, so it's another thing that we're noticing here is there's been a couple of the the compilations that are so huge you might as well be buying the albums anyways. I, I, if you want, like my advice, if you if you just if you really like music, you like prog rock, you like eighties pop music. Like I say, I just pick up the complete works. I would start with iRobot and Ammonia Avenue. 
That's what I, I'd be like. Two different sides of Parsons. Very different if sides. You, yeah, two very different sides. If you like either of these, uh-huh. you know, let me know which one you like and, yeah. and stuff like that. We can go from there. Or you, you know? can start in the middle ground and go for turn of the friendly card. Yeah, you know, like, absolutely. Like that I feel like that's kind of a nice like melding of the prog and the pop rock side and. Yeah. Okay. So let's. But yes, let's talk about track recommendations. <laughs> yeah. You know, honestly, I could do like three per album. All right. One of my favorite tracks of all time. Again, yeah. sit sit down. Put on some good re- some good headphones. Don't don't not earbuds. It, for the for God's sake, don't wear freaking earbuds. <laughs> Sorry, I hate earbuds. They really make my ears hurt. Do you know I have this problem with earbuds where one always hurts and gets stuck in, and the other one always falls out. You have just different size. I have different sized ear canals, but only by a little bit, and <laughs> but just, both are uncomfortable. But yeah, go figure. I hate earbuds. Okay, iRobot, the title track off of iRobot. <laughs> just like if not for the first like two minutes, just put it on and and just like listen to the music just surround you, and it's it's incredible like ambient experience and just and, and it's just this, the most amazing slow swell into this really cool like robotic track um it's it's a great piece of music that holds up like nothing else and um like one of the one of the greatest accomplishments in musical production mm-hmm. i think ever and i honestly like i i could not rave about that track enough i think it's the one of the best album openers of all time and it's one of the coolest and also like it's electronic music like at its roots like this is way before electronic music was was really super like well known and popular and and like it, it this is like this is the beginning of so much is that track definitely definitely listen to i robot mm-hmm. there's so many great tracks but i'm gonna next one i'm gonna go with is uh another title track Ammonia Avenue off of the aforementioned uh, Ammonia Avenue. Um, And for completely different reasons. Completely different reasons. This one is is much more like... This one is is much more accomplished in its songwriting. um, In that it's... Just the lyrical structure and uh, and just the dramatic um, swells and, and the climactic finish... And the and the extremely earnest vocal performance of Eric Wilson um, just really sell this track on being this this uh, a masterpiece in its own right. Um, and and is um, I guess almost like a, a, a strange flipped coin to the iRobot uh, recommendation because this one's a great album closer and one of the ultimate album closers I'd say. Um, and it just. I don't know. This is this is really. It leaves me feeling very sentimental and very emotional, and I I could not recommend it highly enough. The third one. The third one is is now. This is where I struggle because I almost felt like those two to me were very obvious. Mm. And then there's all these other tracks by Alan Parsons that I love, but I'm gonna go with one that is a little more obscure. Um, it's funny you should say that. Great choice. Off of Freudiana. Great choice. Is uh, It's so quirky. I mean, we talked about it a lot already, but I, I just really think it's so good. Uh, but it's, it's quirky, it's funny, and it's it's really dramatic when it wants to be, too. And it really goes through all a lot of different, like, 
uh, different moods and ideas and 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 it's all about the exploration of like psychology and dreams and um and at times it sounds like a musical and other times like it just becomes this full like production track um like um like when they talk about fantasia and, and yeah. it's just like these these just really cool dramatic turns all throughout it and i think that it is uh one of the best uh of that of that period of time um it took a lot of work. That song clearly took a lot of work to mm-hmm. compose. Um, and because also, again, you've got something like like uh, four counter melodies going off against each other, or maybe even five. I mean, you got a lot going off against each other. And also, like from a production standpoint too, you can clearly you can hear that he just there was just a lot of attention to detail in in the subtle sounds all throughout it. So, um, yeah, major kudos to uh, Eric Wolfson and Alan Parsons for uh, for that track. All right, Steve. I'm right. I think I feel I feel good about those choices. I feel I feel real good. This is really tough for me. Mm. Turner of Friendly Cart, one of my all-time favorite songs by the project. Instrumental, The Gold Bug. Uh, the Gold Bug's another one of those uh, those songs that's like layered. Like there's 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 a keyboard part that's introduced and we get used to it, and then there's a saxophone part that's introduced and we get used to it, and then starts to mix with the keyboard part, uh, and then there's you know there's a vocalization uh, that comes in. Um, and, and we get used to that, and we mix them all together, and uh, it's a real, it's a, and then there's a, that sort of that choir sound that comes in too with the wind and stuff. I mean, great layered. Um, one of my, yeah, one of my all-time favorite instrumentals. Uh, yeah, look, look up the Gold Bug. Off of Ammonia Avenue, I'm gonna go with Don't Answer Me, which has a fantastic percussion line. Uh, super romantic song, super poppy. Don't get me wrong, oh, but okay. it hits it hits every right nerve. And it's got a it's got a just a great it's got a great feeling feeling to it. Don't answer me. Don't break the silence. Don't let me win. Don't answer me. Stay on your islands. Don't let me in. Run away and hide from everyone. Great chorus. I absolutely adore it. The music video actually interesting enough. Have you seen it? It's Hmm, I, I might have. Uh... It's animated, but not with drawings, with like paper cutouts. And there's a private detective yeah, and a, a yeah. thug. Um, and they're, I think they cheat at some points and use that traditional animation, but uh, there's, of course, where they're just doing paper cutouts and stuff like that. Um, which I hadn't seen the music until eons after I was familiar with the song. Um, but Don't, a- Don't Answer Me is, is just is so catchy, it's so good. Um, I love its pieces. And then I think from. I'm going to go with the emotional connection one now. I'm going to go off Gaudi, Too Late. That one was on my short list, too. Uh, Lenny Zakatex, his vocals are so pleading in that one. Like, I mean, it sounds like he just came out of a fight. It's too late now, the magic's lost. Too late now, the spell is broken. Too late now to count the cost of words that should remain unspoken. Like, it, it, like the way he's saying it, it sounds like he just got out of a fight and a bad one. Uh, no, sorry, fighting in a relationship, not not a brawl. On the yeah, no, no, yeah. <laughs> like I right straight out of the boxing ring. Yeah, yeah no, it, it definitely feels like. And then he just he just thrown out of an argument, and he calls he calls him up. He's like, guys, I'm ready to record. Yeah, <laughs> I just I'm like now's the time. Let's and then, do it. And then what you're saying, the only thing that matches it is freaking Berenson's guitar work in there. He just he slays oh, it. At the the end. End. It's oh, so it's good. Beautiful. It's so good. Um. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, no, that one, one uh, Gowdy's a great album, but it's, again, it feels bloody short because it's so few tracks. Um, but I mean, like, that one, that one, uh, it really, it really hits. It's, it's, it hits where it hurts. 
that was rough. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a rough selection. But you know what? I I think all solid choices. I think so. Yeah. Next week, I know Disco Ben, dude. You uh, you requested it ages ago. Yeah, and we were just we we're just scared. We, we were it's because we're uh, look, I'm looking at the like actually I made I've made good headway on the discography, but we're gonna it's probably gonna be a little while before we're ready to record. I don't mm-hmm. know how far along you are. I'll catch up. Okay, <laughs> but uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough ride there, Steve. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, we are going to talk about the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees have a distinction. They had uh, number one hits in over the course of four decades, mm-hmm. and at one point, Disco Ben, uh, my friend from high school, had given me a two disc compilation CD. Uh, it was a sort of um, it was a sort of a cheeky. You may know them from Saturday Night Fever, but here's you know here's their career in a nutshell mm-hmm. sort of thing. And the variation was, to be honest, incredible. Mind you, these are songs he selected. When you're listening to it album by album already, I can I can tell you it's it's quite a ride. Stay tuned, folks. We will be uh, we will be back with the Bee Gees. What do you think of Alan Parsons' project? What do you think of the Bee Gees? What do you think of any of the bands that we have covered in the past or that you think we should cover? You should reach out to us. There's a couple ways of doing so. Go to our website, musicatezpodcast.com. Find the individual pages. Search them up by genre. Leave a comment right on the page. We'd love to to uh, read those comments. It's great. Also, search us up on our Facebook group, Music A to Z. Uh, search us up there. Join the conversation. We like to post music-related things. We also have a Twitter account, at Music AZ Podcast. At Music AZ Podcast. There's a whole lot of tweeting going on. Tweet at me. Say, hey, Stephen Doug. I was just listening to this episode, and I've got 280 characters that I'm going to spell out for you. And uh, I will read every single one of those characters. Mm-hmm. Search us up on iTunes. Rate and review this podcast. It goes a really long way, guys. And the more ratings and reviews that we get, the more it's not just for our egos. It's legitimately so that iTunes will then turn around and pimp out the show just just a fraction more with each rating and review that we get. Check me out at uh, DougJCFerguson.com. I need to update it, <laughs> like, a lot. But it's still it's still a good place to check out all the things that I do. Check me out on YouTube. We're Moving Pictures. That's my uh, the, the uh, YouTube page for Decepticon Doug, as myself, and Predacon Paul. We review tons of things. We're working on uh, Beast Wars, and we're almost done Season 1. And uh, movies, new movies, and not as new movies, and some video games. It's it's a channel that's really starting to come alive now, and it's really exciting. You should be a part of it and check it out. All right. Well, then I'm going to close this out by saying Music A to Z podcast is hosted by Stephen and Doug Ferguson and is produced by me, Stephen Ferguson. You should check out our other works at DougJCFerguson.com and StephenGCFerguson.ca. Ferguson.ca.